Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. You're about to embark on yet another great adventure with the Gary and Shannon Show. A reminder, we want you to make sure that you look at the iHeart app and hit the follow button on the Gary and Shannon Show podcast so that you can get updates on what's going on with our podcast. Don't forget to share it as well. Get it? It's adventure music. Also, share it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you have that opportunity, and tell a friend about what you're listening to when you listen to the Gary and Shannon Show. Gary Hoffman. Yeah. Tell baby. Shannon Farron. I'm not going to brag about how much ass I kicked, but let's just say I kicked every single ass. Gary and Shannon. Is your protest real? Well, I have to execute or else we don't have bumpers. This is true. But emotionally, I heavily protest. I knew you would. I knew what we were doing to you this morning was probably going to send you into some sort of emotional place um, that wasn't good. I don't know how it worked out. Well, Erica Jane was on KTLA this morning, and it sent us all down the Erica Jane hole of all her songs and music. Not all of us went down that She's one of the real housewives. I adore her. And uh, you adore her because clearly the music. Well, I love the music. <laughs> she's a fun character. She doesn't care what people think. Just she just does her. Who's she married to? Tom Girardi, who's Remind like me. Uh, one of the oh the Aaron Brockovich guy. Yes, yes, very well respected uh, attorney here. And in eighty, Los right? He is. Uh, late 70s, 80, maybe. Is he 80 yet? Late 70s. You're right. I don't uh, know. Let me Google check. it. Tom Girardi. He's great. Tom Girard? Girardi. Girardi. Anyway, uh, she's on The Real Housewives, and we started listening to all her music, and then somehow Hootie and the Blowfish came up because uh, Nick went to go see Hootie and the Blowfish at State Line several <laughs> years ago. And we said, let's do Erica Jane and uh, Hootie and the Blowfish music for for Flashback Friday. And uh, that's what we got. That's what we got. I can't find him. All right. Anyway, uh, coming up, it's really special show today. It's so full. We're going to get to that. This is not, we're not going to talk about how you're full for four hours. You should not have lost the slice count, though. You know how some people count their drinks when they go out, make sure, you know, they don't drink too much? Yeah. You did not count your slices of pizza. We don't know how many no. you put down yesterday. I know that my friend Tim ate more than I did. Mm-hmm. And I ate more than my friend Ryan. Okay. That's all I know. It's like a word problem. It is. If Tim ate if Tim 10 ate, slices. No. And I would Ryan say ate Tim two, probably was closer to 12. And Ryan was closer to about five. Then how six. many? Then how many did Gary have out of two large pizzas? So I'm somewhere between six and twelve slices of pizza, of a meatinator pizza. You, I gotta tell you, you don't look healthy this morning. You're you're <laughs> looking pale, and there's a sheen. I slept through my alarm for the first fifteen minutes. Of course you did. My wife thought I had suffered some sort of cardiac infarction. Well, let's keep it all inside. He's my hero. Okay. What are we doing today? We have a huge show today. Okay. 
Well, it's Friday, so we've got Mo on the movies coming up. Yes. Get you ready for the weekend. What are you going to go see? We're also giving away movie tickets once again throughout the show Oh, today. that's right. Yes. That's exciting. And, um, and $1,000 an hour. That's pretty nice. Dean Sharp's going to join us on why or how to use your tax refund to remodel or renovate areas in the home. That's helpful. And an interview that I've been wanting to do for quite a long time. Uh, Brett Huff is going to join us. He was one of the filmmakers on Behind the Orange Curtain, all about prescription drug abuse in Orange County. Do you know Orange County has more rehab centers per capita than any other county in the country? seems like every time I watch an episode of Intervention, they send at least one of the people to Orange County. Yeah. So we're going to talk to him, sit down, and and talk about what's going on there because when you think about Orange County, you don't think about opioid abuse, and there's a hell of a lot of it. Um, but we start Friday oh, this is such with a, a feel-good Friday story. Um, Dreams do come true. Half-jokingly, somebody asked me the other day, uh, since Madison Bumgarner, the Giants' number one pitcher, got his pinky broken in the, one of the final spring training games he was going to be in, did the Giants call me? And I said, uh, Yes, they did, but I missed the message, so I just called them back and said, hey, if you guys need me, I'm I'm around, right? I think everybody has sort of that, if you're a sports fan or if you played as a kid, everyone's got that, that just that little bit of a fantasy in their mind that someone somewhere it's, is going to see their greatness and call them up yes. and ask them to play on your favorite it's team. It's the Vince Papali story. Yeah, yes, right? exactly. Um, everyone's seen that. Everyone's seen the baseball movie where what's-his-name was 40-something years Dennis old. Dennis Quaid, yes. There you go. Everyone has that secret fantasy. Well, it came true for a guy last night. Chicago Blackhawks, yeah, Chicago yes. Blackhawks are playing uh, the, the team in Canada, Winnipeg Jets. <laughs> Some team in Canada. <laughs> Some blow. And I didn't know this, but they've got backup players that are assigned to cover each game. So they'll call and be like, oh, hey, Gary, we need you to be a backup tonight. And the backup players will just go to the press box and they'll sit up there. That's where their seat is. And they'll eat the press box meal, which is always terrible. Have you ever heard of this? No, I've never heard of this. Um, and so they, they just assign a, a backup goalie, backup forward maybe. And these guys are just there. They're like on-call hockey players. All right. Last night, the on-call goalie who hasn't played hockey in 12 years gets called to dress. He, he he went to the, the game as usual. He had his press box meal, and they give him a call. They're like, yeah, we're going to need you to dress. Our our, ho- our our goalie just went down in warm-ups. So he's like, all right, still probably not going to play, right, because they've got the backup goalie there that dresses for every game. He goes down in the game. So this 36-year-old accountant gets the call up and gets out there on the ice, and I think we've got his first uh, his first save there. You want to tell the kids and the grandkids probably about 35 years from now. Well, you tell them if you get through the next last 14 yeah, minutes. Hey, you know what? You get to the show, don't have, you know, no matter how, and there's your first thing. So. And listen to the crowd. <laughs> and the crowd knows it. The loves it. From this sold-out arena. It's the greatest thing. When, when sports fans know what's going on, especially on the ice or the field or the court or whatever it is, and those guys knew exactly what was going on. This is a guy who was literally called at the last second to say, hey, you're in tonight. If if nothing else, you're wearing a Blackhawks jersey tonight and you're sitting on the bench. This is, I didn't understand, I've never heard of this before. NHL teams keep emergency goalies around for situations like this. And they're typically from rec leagues in the nearby cities, whatever it is. 
uh, they usually get, like you said, that nice dinner and a night in the press box because chances are they're never going to be needed. The home team, this is, listen to this. The home team provides these backup goalies. But either team can use them if needed. Oh, so the, fascinating. There was a chance that this guy, having lived in, you know, I assume grown up in the Chicago area and maybe probably a pretty big Blackhawks fan to begin with, ends up going in as a goalie for the Winnipeg Jets. If yeah. A, if a goalie is injured unexpectedly and there's not enough time for a minor league goalie to arrive, this emergency goalie would suit up, go through warm-ups, and then usually do nothing. I mean, sit at the end of the bench. But like you said, they lost their backup goalie to the leg cramp in the third period. So this guy had to go in there for the final 14 minutes of the game. He hasn't played since he played at Western Michigan University. That's the This is the best. This is like Blake going to tonight's game. Right. And Dave Roberts is looking down in the in the bullpen in the 14th inning, and he's like, well, it's too early to start not, blowing through some of these wait, guys. Not, uh, even, not even Blake, because this guy's 36 years old. This is like me getting called in. You know, it's like, uh, you know, one of the Chargers girls goes down and they're like, you used to cheer in, in 1998. Well, the one thing I would say, <laughs> still know how to make letters with your hands. Yeah. Get out there. The one thing I would say that is different is they're going to they're they going to they're going to have to put together a uniform with that guy's name on it. Oh, yeah. So whoever is, you know, whoever's working the equipment room for the Blackhawks has to be able has to be able to stitch uh, the guy's name into the back of the jersey right away. There were seven shots he faced and seven saves. He was the hero. He's perfect. He did a lengthy interview in the uh, in the locker room there, and he just sounded like such a nice, normal, you know, accountant. That's just got to be. The, the, I mean, how do you sleep after that? You don't. You, you're on adrenaline for at least a week and a half. Because he probably is going to go on all the morning shows and all that, you know. And did anybody record it? What do you mean? Well, I mean, if he's going to the game but never expecting to actually oh, get like in, his... and they asked him in the post-game interview, so when did you know you were going to suit up? And he said, I was about a block away from the arena there. I'm assuming he's a little bit Canadian. Uh, and uh, they told me I had to suit up there, so I just threw on the suits, and I'm just going to sit there at the end of the bench there. Could you imagine if you were a diehard Blackhawk fan? Yeah. Like, like you know, you've got the Blackhawks uh, logo tattooed on your shoulder, and you're called in to face off against them. The only thing, by the way, we're giving away uh, $1,000 here in a few minutes, brought to you by Cunning Dental. If you've got hockey teeth, you can call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640-SMILE. Nice one. Nice oh. one. Yeah, I think you can go home now. Uh the closest I think I've ever been to anything like that is when you drop several thousand dollars and go to fantasy camp. If you go to a baseball fantasy camp for whichever team is your team and you go. Uh, I did that once. I did it for the Seattle Mariners. They weren't my team, but but the radio station that I work for up there uh, was going to be the new flagship station for the Mariners radio network. So I went to their fantasy camp before the season started. And walking into... A big league locker room. I mean, granted, it's spring training, but still a big league locker room down in Peoria, Arizona. And seeing all of the uniforms lined up the way that you've seen it in all the yeah. pictures of all yeah. the major league you know, <clears throat> locker rooms yep. where the uniforms perfectly clean, the yep. whitest white you can get. And it's hanging in a locker that's got your name on it yeah. with the jersey that has your name on it. Like all your little fantasies just come alive. I mean, it's it's amazing 
But to see that this guy is going to roll into the locker room and the equipment manager is going to go, uh, is that Foster with one S or one T? Or what, how do you spell Foster? Well, in, in just, the interview, in the postgame interview, you can see the little name placard behind him. Yeah. It was already up there. Scott Foster. It's just so great. I mean, that's. Are you going to be all right? I feel like I'm going to cry now. It I may know. be the chorizo that was I on the pizza. but I, I think I don't know you last the day. Like you're having trouble getting words out. Like there's a blockage. Like there's maybe some sausage still in your esophagus or something. You want to take a bet on who's still standing here at 2, a, uh, 2 p.m.? 2 a.m.? 2 p.m.? No. Okay. All right, then. Just keep it at That's that. only because I might be uh, leaving a little early. Oh, you got better things to do? No. Did you eat somewhere between six and 12 slices of pizza last night? <laughs> I love that you have no Oh, idea. and I did have a beer, too. A root beer. Well, that Doesn't make it sound like. That's the problem. You didn't have any Coors Light to uh, lubricate that meat lover's pizza. None of what you just said is going to stay in my head because it sounds horrible. <clears throat> Okay, uh, one of the other stories that we have unfortunately had to cover this week is the story of the Hart family. This is the family that was in the uh, giant GMC SUV that plunged off of uh, PCH, off of Highway 1, up north of Mendocino, and apparently killed everyone in this family of eight. Guys, the more I read about these moms, the more this family sounds like the Turpin family. The moms are Jennifer Hart and Sarah Hart, both 38 years old. They were killed. Uh, They were in the front seat. Three of their six adopted kids were in the back seat, a 19-year-old and two 14-year-olds. Three of their other kids still have not been found, but they are feared dead. It's just that their bodies were not still with the car when when, uh, rescuers finally got there. The family most recently lived in Woodland, Washington. And as we told you yesterday, they captured everyone's attention long before their their terrible end. Um, one of the, the boys, Devante, was famous uh, because of a picture that was taken in a 2014 protest. It was a Ferguson protest, and it was up in Portland, Oregon. And he is a little black boy holding on, hugging the, the white cop. Anyway, the neighbors are talking about what that what they remember. And one of the neighbors, a guy by the name of Bruce, says he remembers one night about three or four months after the Hearts moved into the house next door last year, that Hannah Hart, Hannah, who's now 16, uh, pounded on his door. She was covered in weeds, he says, because she had jumped out of the family's second-story window and was running through the woods, it's a rural property, to reach the neighbor's house. She runs up the stairs into the house, finds the bedroom, and wakes up the neighbor. And this guy, Bruce, is like, this kid was just losing her mind. She was rattled to the bone, and you can't fake that. Now, this is interesting because this adds more details to what we knew yesterday. Right. Yesterday, we had only heard that she had banged on the door right. and was saying they're going to hurt me or that they'd abused me, whoever they were. But we assume somebody in the family. When the Hart family, when the moms come over and find her, she's upstairs cowering between a bed and a dresser. I mean, clearly in fear or something's going on with this girl. 
But they convince her to come downstairs. She apologizes to the neighbors. The next day, she comes back with a letter that she had written, a letter of apology. Sorry for waking you up. Sorry for causing trouble. And the moms described it as uh, the girl having had a rough week because her cat had just died. Now, the neighbors thought that this girl who had come into their house and was terrified and all that, that she was about seven. She was 15. She was missing her front teeth. That's a key. They had some story about the teeth because they asked, like, what's going on with the teeth? They had some story about her getting them knocked out and she didn't want to get them fixed. That is a weird key thing that if you see a girl, everyone has a relatively good, I mean, not Carnival Barker style ability to tell the age on someone, but a pretty good gauge of how old someone is. And if you make the mistake that that 15-year-old girl, you think that she's seven because of some development issues or, you know, whatever's going on, that's a key. That's something that uh, should be noted. Before we get back to this, how about an opportunity for you to win $1,000? Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword cash to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's cash to 200-200. Lupe in Victorville actually answered the phone when someone called, and Lupe won $1,000. If you do not answer the phone and you're the winner, they'll move on to somebody else. Uh, your next chance to win 1000 bucks coming up one hour from now. In fact, all the way through that first hour at Conway tonight, we're giving away $1,000 an hour. We told you about Friday when Devante, the little boy in, in the viral picture, he had gone over to the same neighbor's house and said that he was was hungry. Um, and, and they decided to call CPS. Uh, and CPS went out to the house, tried three times, nobody was there. And then that was Friday, and then Monday the, the bodies are found. Well... It looks like that wasn't the first time Devontae went to the neighbor's house for food. March 15th, they say Devontae went over to their house asking for food, saying that his parents weren't feeding him. They gave him some tortillas and peanut butter, and then he went home. But he kept returning. Uh, Last Thursday, he stopped by three times, including at 11.30 p.m., Maybe that's when the moms went to bed. Maybe they were sleeping, and he decided to go out and forage for food. He asked for six packs of tortillas and a case of peanut butter that time. He wanted some apples, too. And Devante also asked the couple whether they had called CPS. Now, what, I, I just, I mean, I know this is rural Washington, um, a lot of odd ducks out there, probably. But wouldn't you call CPS when last year, when Hannah, this, the 15-year-old, burst into your house and she's terrified and shaking and you think she's seven? I, I don't know. I, remember, she said that she was afraid or that they had been abusing her. And then when the moms came over, I, I, think, you're, I think it would have been more protective, perhaps, uh, and just said, hey... Even if, you know, just out of an abundance of caution, I want to get somebody else involved here, somebody who's a professional who has the ability to discern better than I do what's really going on here. So maybe I would have called CPS at that point. I'm curious at what ages the kids were adopted. That's what I'm curious about. I'm also curious about the moms and what they did for money. 
Remember, these are not foster kids. These are kids that were adopted. So I, I don't think they were getting any money from the state to raise them. Um, just curious about how long these kids were, were in the home. Um, the Hart's friends have defended the family. The Samantha Sinclair is a Portland trauma nurse. She's known the family for uh, four years. And she described their home as one of joy, filled with books, music, healthful food. The story is not about abuse. It's a story of triumph and love. Now, if you've got a kid going to the neighbor's house for peanut butter and tortillas, that's a problem. The only, I mean, if if that friend, if Samantha Sinclair is right, then we're all misunderstanding why the kid went next door. But I can't, I can't envision reasons why a teenage boy goes next door to borrow food, uh, to beg for food. I, I can't think of a positive reason for that. It really, Bianca just wrote to us on Twitter and it gives you chills. Ever think that little boy in the picture was grabbing onto the police officer because he was crying out for help? <laughs> when you look at that picture, though, yeah. that kid is clearly crying and it's not a good look on his face. There's another issue there. But speaking of that picture, there's an issue that I think uh, is interesting because they said after that picture went viral, the family actually got some negative feedback as a result of that, that the family received death threats and even hateful emails saying that the photo was fake and that young Devante may have been one of those crisis actors that was just showing up and taking advantage of a situation for either his own popularity or to take some sort of political agenda or something like that. So they they moved. They had moved to Woodland, uh, Washington, Away from West Lynn, Oregon, which, I mean, that's like six, one half dozen of the other. It's not like either one of those is a giant bustling metropolis of of people. Uh, But that they left and moved into this very rural area of Woodland, Washington, in an attempt to get away from all of that stuff. So how far would you go to protect your family from that? And did it involve, uh, you know, changing your lifestyle in a way that, was detrimental to the kids. We may be getting more answers about what went on. Uh, Investigators with the Clark County Major Crimes Unit have visited the home yesterday to serve a search warrant, collect evidence, talk to neighbors. Today's search began, according to the sergeant there, as part of an actual investigating search behind a search warrant, looking for pieces and answers. And, by the way, the three kids. There's still three that are missing. Uh, the unfortunate part is it looks like they were probably swept out to sea after the car rolled over and down the cliff. Uh, but could you imagine if they were able to find the three kids? I mean, and they were alive somewhere. Animal Control has visited the Hart home, went yesterday, removed a bunny, chicken, and four cats. Officers say the animals are in fine condition. A friend of the family also says that the Hearts had a dog named Mowgli. That may have been with them in California. That's just a terrible story. And you just, it's like you you want it to be an accident somehow. They, they pulled over to sleep or something and, and the car rolled forward or something. Just the idea that you would adopt six kids and then take all those lives with you. That doesn't make any doesn't sense. doesn't make me. any sense, no. All right. Uh, Gary and Shannon will continue. A bunch of stuff coming up. We mentioned Dean Sharp coming up next hour. We have Swamp Watch at 1230 when we get into what's going on in Washington, D.C., but Right after the break, Brent Huff, a filmmaker, on opioids and the impact on uh, right here at home in Orange County. Uh, and talk about his film, Behind the Orange Curtain, is up next.
we stick with this plan throughout the day. You don't like Cootie? Well, I don't, I don't know if there's enough to go I from. I don't know if there's no. enough fruit on that tree. No, these trees are... Oh. For some reason, we got into, instead of a Flashback Friday year, uh, Erica Jane and uh, Hootie and the Blowfish. I well, Very well, disparate know, artists. We apologize. Yeah, this is a stupid show. Um, Tom Girardi, by the way, 79 years old. Okay. So I said 80 and you said late 70s. We so both we were both, yeah, we both, win. both winners. Uh, one of the stories that we've uh, talked about many, many times here on, on the Gary and Shannon show is the opioid crisis that has hit uh, a bunch of different parts of the United States. And so many people have told us, you've got to watch behind the orange curtain. You've got, I mean, we've heard it from emails on Facebook, Twitter. So we, we said, all right, and we got the director in here. Brent Huff joins us now to talk about Behind the Orange Curtain. This is a documentary that came out in 2012, and uh, not a lot of people were talking about this back in 2012. Not at the time, but uh, they called it, you know, prescription drug abuse, but not the opioid abuse. And now that we've got a name for it, I mean, it doesn't make the problem go away, but at least we can have an idea of what's going on. Exactly. So they can kind of zero in on it. Um, So where do you get the idea for a, a full documentary on this? What happened, Natalie Costa, who's a friend of mine, and she o- operates the Performers Academy. It's a performing arts school down in Orange County. She called me up to tell me her daughter, Brianne, had gone to her first funeral. A friend of hers, a 17-year-old boy, died of an opioid overdose. So Natalie went with her da- uh, daughter to the funeral. It was packed. There were like seven or 800 people there, and everybody was talking about how the problem is out of control. They've gone to too many funerals. It's got to stop. One young man who's actually in the film uh, said that he had been to 13 funerals in the last year and a half, all down in Orange County, South Orange County, beach communities where you think, what can go wrong there? And it's been devastating. So Natalie called me up and said, I'm going to bring some parents in who've lost children, some children who are uh, struggling with addiction right now and do sort of a town hall meeting about doing a documentary. I just want you to come down. If it's something you want to do, let's make a documentary. So I went down there. The auditorium was Build. I mean, uh, standing room only, and parent after parent stood up and told me how they lost their child. So you can imagine the emotion in the room. Yeah. Just devastating, one after another. Did you get the sense that before this, uh, uh, it was an embarrassing thing to talk about, or that maybe the parents felt they were alone and no one else had suffered the same, you know, horrific tragedy that they had? It still is. It's a stigma. Because parents think, oh, it's going to make us look like we're bad parents. It's going to make our kids look they're, like they're bad kids. I don't know if you've seen the uh, Eric Bowling interviews. Yeah. We interviewed him not too long ago, oh. a couple of weeks ago. That's the story with so many. They had no idea, no idea until they got the call that every parent doesn't want to get. And it, it can happen like that. So you got to be aware. So this is an awareness documentary just uh, so parents will talk. But, well, uh, yeah, and it's so important because we talk about watching the intervention uh, series on A&E. And the people in that series who are depicted um, are people, I'm just going to say it, who you would profile. That Okay, that's what a drug user looks like, all right? Um, it's somebody who's low income, uh, just had a rough life, and, oh, that's the face of addiction. But that's not the face of addiction. No way. It was like these clean-cut people with wealth. Uh, the Kids were cheerleaders, football quarterbacks, academic stars, great personalities. I met with a lot of them, really charming young people. That And then the parents, I thought maybe, well, they're 
parents that just threw money at the problem. But no, the parents that we interviewed were hands-on, loving parents. Uh, it just shows you it can happen to anybody. It's not the face that you would think. And then they turn to heroin when they can't afford the oxy or whatever anymore. And so then I, w- I interviewed one girl that's uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed cheerleader, and she goes, I'm an ex-heroin addict. Who would have thought? And, uh, and, and so, what some of these kids do to get their money is unbelievable. One girl that's in the film, beautiful girl, she got caught with $13,000 of counterfeit money that she printed. Wow. <laughs> and if you saw her walking down the street, you'd have no idea. Well, Behind the Orange Curtain came out in 2012. That's when it first hit the uh, the festivals and, and really became a, a big deal. What's changed in six years? I mean, or if anything. Not a lot has changed, uh, except a lot of the kids who overdosed in my film had overdosed with Opana, uh, which is the FDA is trying to get that opioid off the market because it's so powerful. But now fentanyl yeah. is so big. So they're lacing, you know, like Xanax bars with fentanyl and stuff. Fentanyl is deadly. Well, we just saw the headline that Prince was found to have incredibly high levels of fentanyl in his system when he died. And Tom Petty. Yeah. Yeah. And Heath Ledger 10 years ago, you know, yeah, it's so- died and it's still going on. So this just it needs to get out there. Uh, parents need to talk to their kids and have that conversation. And what do you do? I mean, we were, when we were talking to Eric Bowling, he was saying that he did have the conversation with his kid. Uh, and the kid was like, I got it. I got it. That was what he remembered his kids saying. And as a parent, what what do you do beyond the conversation? It's a, it's a hard problem because a lot of times they'll lie. Addicts lie because they have to. So the kids will say, Dad, Mom, you're not, you don't believe me? You don't believe in what I'm saying? How yeah. dare you accuse me of lying? And they're lying because they have to. And uh, so it's just continue to have the conversation. Also keep an eye on who they're hanging out with, if their behavior changes. Uh, there are signs that sometimes these parents just don't see or don't want to see because it can't possibly. I think don't want to see is probably the better way to put yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, you, I mean, you mentioned that, the idea that they're lying. And to go back, I mean, just because this is really our window, I suppose, into uh, into addiction is that TV show Intervention. We've mentioned it a couple of times. Uh, that y- the cameras being there, you know, and seeing these people, you'll you'll see the lie develop. You'll see it come out of their mouth. You'll see the person that they're lying to, and then you'll see them, you know, live out that lie saying, I don't have heroin in my room. And the next thing they do, close the door and shoot up. They're the foils. Yeah, uh, that's just a- so do the kids know that there is this potential for overdose that you don't know you're going too far, but you can go too far. I mean, don't they hear the stories? It's not landing for some reason. Uh, and what happens is. When they're at a party, they might take one of these pills, and then when they mix alcohol with it, that's when it really gets bad because it doesn't mix. It's not one plus one is two. It's like one plus one is three with the alcohol and these drugs. And uh, they'll overdose at a party, and the kids don't know what to do. We've got one um, guy that we uh, follow in the film that they're partying. One of his kids is overdosing, so they just pull over in uh, San Juan Capistrano, the side of the road near the 5 Freeway, and let him out and put him on the ground. They go to the jack-in-the-box and use a cell phone to call 911 because they don't want their cell phone traced. They said that there's a kid there. Well, they couldn't find him. And then there's another 911 call the next morning where a woman calls and says, I think I see a body at the side of the road. If you drive down the 5 right now near San Juan Capistrano, this little side road, you'll see these flowers next to it still there. But 
Kids need to know that there's a good Samaritan law that they can call 911 and not get in trouble. And so that's what happens a lot of times. They don't want to know what to do. But uh, make sure your kids know that if one of their friends starts to overdose, call 911. That's the the other issue is about opioids, uh, opiates, is that there's nothing like um, there are no telltale signs a lot of times. There's, you know, you don't smell the alcohol on them, for example. You can't smell that they've been smoking pot. It's not on their clothes. There's no, there's no white powder around their nose from the cocaine or anything like that. They just, they can appear off. I mean, granted, they can appear very off, but sometimes those signs aren't there. Well, you just think they're pe- being petulant teenagers. Right. Like we all were. Yeah. And so they're, oh, they're just acting up, this, that, and the other. They're just being teenagers. You have no idea because, like you said, you can't smell it. You can't see the signs. Uh, Brent Huff has joined us. We're talking with uh, Brent about his documentary film called Behind the Orange Curtain, uh, Prescription Drug Abuse, Opioid Abuse in uh, Orange County of all places. We'll talk more with Brent when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. We are talking to Brent Huff right now. Director of Behind the Orange Curtain. He also directed Chasing Beauty, which is a great look at the modeling industry or the uh, the dark side, I guess you could say, of the of the modeling industry. Um, but today we're talking about Behind the Orange Curtain. Uh, Autumn asked, just in terms of the context of what we're talking about with uh, opioids, opiates. What's the difference between opiates and opioids? And I looked it up. The, the usually opiate is the natural extraction from opium poppies, so morphine, codeine, stuff like that. Opioids are synthetic, uh, synthetic versions of that or uh, chemical modifications to the natural ones. So that's that's the difference. But I think a lot of people use them interchangeably today as opposed to uh, maybe 10 years ago. So, According to the California Health Kids survey, this was back in 2012, there was a survey given to 9th and 11th graders and... 20% of 11th graders in the Newport Mesa School District have used prescription painkillers one or more times to get high. And you got to think that that's a low percentage because how many kids are, are lying and not saying that they've done it? And I think there's a thought of, of if it comes from a doctor, it's okay. You right. know, if you if you get into the, the medicine cabinet, you take one of mom's the orange, pills. The orange bottle with the white top, it's probably safe. For right. Somebody. It's not like you're doing heroin with a needle in your arm, mm. but you are. And that's usually mm. how it starts, right, Brent? I mean, in terms of people... Uh, experimenting with painkillers from from the medicine cabinet in the home. Right, it could be at mom's uh, medicine cabinet. They get it from their friends at school. A doctor gives it to them. How how bad can it be? Uh, and then it, one of the reasons Orange County was hit so hard is because it cost a lot to buy these drugs. Like a um, uh, one milligram of oxy is a dollar, so they took eighty milligram pills. So that's eighty bucks. So after a while, you have to switch over to heroin because it's much cheaper. So that's how that ends up, you know, because you don't, they don't just start with heroin. Yeah. They start with these pills and then move into that. It's quite a jump to go from nothing to heroin. <clears throat> and it's the uh, same high, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you were mentioning off the air the issue of Narcan, which is the drug that a lot of paramedics, emergency responders have been using to pop people out of an overdose, an opioid overdose. And you can get it? You can get it at Walgreens, CVS. You just walk into the pharmacy and say that you have a, a child or a friend or a loved one who's struggling and you'd like to buy it. And it's a nasal spray that can, you know, reverse the effects in less than three minutes. Wow. It's amazing. So if you have uh, someone who's struggling, I would have that around for sure. 
One uh, of the problems I think that parents face, and I've seen this on Teen Mom. Uh, one of the, the guys on Teen Mom, Ryan is his name, had a pill problem. I think he was just actually busted after uh, going to rehab recently. Uh, busted this week, I think. But he had a heroin problem and a prescription pill problem. And he just came off like a lazy teenager that didn't care. And don't teenagers have that phase where they're just, ah, I'm lazy and I don't care about anything. And that's one of the signs. You know, it's hard right. to pick up on right. that if, if that's one of the signs. Oh, exactly. And then... Your mind is still developing at that age. It still develops till it's like you're like 25 years old. There's a reason your car insurance goes down at 25. There's a scientific reason. <laughs> so you're just hoping that you can get your kids through that area, you know, through that uh, time frame as they're maturing. And, to, and they're, because their brain doesn't work right. Exactly. Look at all the stupid things we did right. when we're that age. <laughs> we just didn't have these pills around. Uh, yeah. Um, what... What is the next step? I mean, is there is there a, a part two of Behind the Orange Curtain? Have you played with that idea at all, sort of following up on the stories? A lot of people are asking us about that to to do it because it is, it's almost like a scared straight sure. documentary, and I want to do more. Um, one of the things that really changed my life, is, uh, I got to shoot at the coroner's office in Orange County. They let us shoot down there. Now, earlier we'd gone to a uh, uh, funeral at Dana Hills High School which they called Dana Pills down there. So there's a funeral, and one of the young men that was at this funeral was crying, you know, hysterically. Three weeks later, I'm in Orange County at the coroner's office, and we're in the morgue, and they let us shoot there. They said, but what you have to do is turn over the toe tags, just so, you know, don't identify any of the, the names. So I'm looking at the toe tags, and there's a kid that's 19 years old. And so Brianne Costa, who was went to her first funeral, I said, come here, look at this. This kid's 19. She looked over and she grabs your mouth, and it was the kid that was crying earlier at the uh, Dana Hills Memorial. Wow. And so she's grabbing her face. That's actually the, one of the photos that's on the poster. So it happened to her that three weeks after the memorial, he's in the morgue. So it, so it didn't, terrifying. you know, yeah, it's terrifying. It's, it's scary. Uh, well, uh, on, a, on a positive note, where, first of all, where can people see Behind the Orange Curtain? It's on, like, iTunes and Amazon. And if you go to our website, BehindTheOrangeCurtain.net, you can read more about the film. Okay. Um, yeah, because I think that's uh, a lot of people probably it's, – it's difficult to watch, but it's one of those that I feel like, especially if parents of teenagers or people who are about to become teenagers uh, and express their freedom in different ways, including going into your medicine cabinet, this is one of those things you got to check out. I've heard this so many times that after – Parents take their kids to the film. On the way home, their kids will come clean and say that they're either, either struggling or that it's all over their high school. Yeah. And a lot of these kids are going through it. And they just, they just don't tell their parents. So you've got to start the conversation. And if nothing else, that's what we want. It's to a start. good way to start the conversation is watching this the, the film as a family. Right. Right. Well, what else? Some happy stuff. What else are you working on? I mean, outside of this, some good things that we're doing. I'm just finishing up a film now called The Welcome to the Beyond. Mm -hmm. It's about um, a man named Hoyt Richards uh, who grew up uh, wealthy. Uh, their family spent their summers in Nantucket. They were sort of like the Kennedys of Nantucket. He goes on to Princeton University, graduates from Princeton, moves to New York City, and becomes the first male supermodel. But while he's there, he gets approached by a man, uh, Freddie Von Mears, who has a cult called Eternal Values that's only for beautiful people who are highly intelligent, and they believe they're from a star called Octurus. 
and it's a true story. And he was in this cult for 20 years, and this is his story to reclaim his life. I'd love to have you back to talk I about know. that. Oh, I'd love yeah. to come back. Yeah. Oh, great. All right. Wonderful. Well, Thank you so much we'll for having like me. like a dentist office. We'll set you up with Nick before you leave so we can get this uh, appointment <laughs> on the uh, on the schedule. Uh, Brent, great. thank you very much for coming in. We, we appreciate it. We now have a friend that's a film director. Oh, I love it. That's uh, a, yeah. That box is now checked. Yep. <laughs> great. Now all we <laughs> thank need, you. We have a clown. We have a film director. We have a pilot. We have a pilot. We need a ventriloquist. Oh, we have a Secret Service guy. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. We're filling up our friend box. I know. Thanks, Brent. <laughs> all right. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Gary Shannon will continue right after this. Is this the song where they say, isn't Bobby so cool? Who's Bobby? <laughs> I need you to pull it together. Me? Yes. Okay. I know you're drunk on baseball and pizza. I'm not watching any baseball right now. Yeah, but you watched at least 12 hours yesterday. You were watching baseball from 10 a.m. until 8 p.m. 9.40, actually, is when that Cubs game started. Exactly. That's why your eyes are glazed over. It's not the pepperoni. It's all the screen time. I came home from pizza last night. It was about 8 o'clock, maybe, 8.15. And uh, I was telling my wife how it went, and the pizza was good. And they went and got their traditional opening day pedicures because they don't have to talk to me. And uh, she said, you all right? You seem a little down. I was like, I am fine. I'm just talking to you guys instead of watching the other baseball games that are on. <laughs> so she sat me down in front of the TV and turned the TV on for me. I thought that was very nice. Like you're a toddler. She sat you down in front of the TV. Hey, Arnold Schwarzenegger has undergone, um, uh, undergone excuse me, emergency ho- open heart surgery. What? He's 70 now. They say he went to Cedar sinai yesterday for a catheter valve replacement. The surgery, they say, is somewhat experimental, and he developed complications. So doctors quickly decided he needed emergency open-heart surgery that lasted several hours. This is not the first time uh, he has had heart surgery. He had an aortic valve replaced in 97. At the time, they say doctors didn't feel the procedure was urgent, but Arnold decided to do it while he was still young. And he said it had nothing to do with steroids at the time. It was congenital. Uh, the latest from TMZ is that the procedure today, or probably yesterday, was to replace a pulmo- pulmonic valve that was originally replaced. So I guess this was that 1997 valve. It was never meant to be permanent. And I guess it, uh, it, needed, a, it needed a new valve in there. Mm. He's in stable condition and is recovering. Arnold, huh? My God. I'm Arnold. Okay. We're not we're not gonna do that. Isn't that what you're talking about? We are not gonna Arnold had to get his heart out of sprinkle in Westworld sound bites for stories that have nothing to do with Westworld. Sprinkle me some Westworld. Uh we also at the bottom of the hour are gonna get into uh Dean Sharp. Dean Sharp is coming in. He's coming in with uh uh some interesting stuff on how to use your tax refund because it's tax refund season. If you're lucky enough to have done the taxes and getting the refund. You know what else? Not cutting a check. You know what else happens this time of year? Baseball. Baby animal bracket. Oh, that. Yes. 
What's going on with the baby animal? We're in round four now already, if the baby you, animal bracket. Well, yeah, if you want to procrastinate today for seven minutes, go to KFIAM640.com, click on the Gary and Shannon page, and read Rick Johnson's rundown of round three because <laughs> it is a delight. He is a published author, and he is really shining his author authorness. Dim. Author dim. Author dim with these uh, rundowns. Here, here's one of the quotes. They say Australia is filled with animals that can't wait to kill you, but Baby Giraffe didn't seem to be intimidated by Baby Koala at all as he high-kicked his way to victory with 77% of the vote. Well done. We should get Rick to just do the updates. Oh, that would be awesome. I mean, I don't know if he's a sports guy. He doesn't have to be a sports guy. Well, it's... Gotta be a baby animal guy. Uh, So listen, there was a a story uh, the LAPD needs your help with. They are concerned that a man who apparently victimized a woman at her at his Sherman Oaks home may have victimized many other women. You ever watched the show? I did. Millionaire matchmaker. Didn't she come in here? Didn't Patty Stanger? Didn't she come in here at one point? I thought she was. Not on our show. show, Guest hosted a show or something. No. Yes. No. Yep. I think we're going to need to do a quick check on that. Nick, would you get on the horn? I don't think so. Get on the horn with i down in Seoul and see if maybe... Uh, 10-4. Uh, we, we had Patty Stanger in here for a guest spot at one point. Okay. I don't think so. Pretty sure we did. Anyway, uh, she does the show on... Was it on Bravo or E? Uh, maybe both. <laughs> Millionaire Matchmaker. So what happens is these millionaires go to her and because they don't want to... F- us with finding their own girls to date and they have all these quirks about them um you know because just because you have millions of dollars doesn't mean you're super normal right so these guys have uh interesting backstories and and weird things that they do maybe they're a little socially um uh awkward and so she kind of coaches them into like how to date and oh maybe don't do that and and then she goes and she finds girls they have like casting calls for girls that that might be appropriate for the match the the millionaire that they're trying to match at that particular time and then they go on dates and the millionaire kind of picks the girl that he wants to continue a relationship patty stanger's thing is um what is it no sex before monogamy something of that nature something yeah that is correct um, so this this guy was on Millionaire Matchmaker. Michael Burnback is his name. Yeah, He's he ap- 65. Appeared on the fifth season of the show back in 2011. Said that he had a net worth of about $8 million when he pe- appeared on the show on Bravo. Um, he was arrested at his home back in 2015. And he's about to go on trial to face these allegations that he was drugging and raping women in 2014 and 15, not long after he appeared on the show. This is the the, the uh, a woman talked to reporters uh, yesterday and said that she had been communicating with Sam Burnback. Uh, sorry, Michael Burnback, Sam, uh, Michael Burnback on a dating website for a couple of months before they agreed to meet up. And she said during their conversations, she was very clear with him, explicit with him about things that she was not willing to do sexually. And she said that Michael Burnback appeared to agree to that. Like he got it. He understood. And she said, then I went to his house and the complete opposite happened. 
She said that Michael told her not to speak and slapped her when she did. That two other women were at Michael's house when he sexually assaulted her. How do you? Well, police did not allow her to elaborate on this, um, but she told reporters she remains traumatized by the encounter. She's lost her jobs and friends, has social phobias, no longer dates, and has become homeless. Uh, police said at the time that when he was arrested on twenty in twenty fifteen, that he had raped three women, and the DA's office announced that he was charged with eight felony counts. Uh, penetration by a foreign object, attempted sodomy by use of force, forcible rape, forcible oral uh, copulation, rape by use of drugs, rape of an unconscious person, and two counts of administering drug to commit rape. How that guy is released on bail, I don't understand. Yeah, that's a problem. I mean, even let's say that he did keep a net worth somewhere around $8 million. I could understand that they set it high and he was able to afford it. But still, make it higher. The fact you can be charged with eight felonies, including rape, forcible rape, and be released on bail. Police believe that this guy was also trolling adult websites trying to find the women that he was going to prey upon since 2013. And they say they know of eight women victimized by this guy. That he was preying on women between the ages of 20 and 24 who may have had some sort of a troubled sexual uh, history. Most of the women had been molested as children. Oh, now, so, imagine he tri- that. so he tries to find the most vulnerable. Yeah. And Just, yeah. This guy is not only, I mean, it's not only that he's targeting women in general, he's targeting the most vulnerable women and taking advantage of the fact that they have uh, somewhat troubled pasts. LAPD Lieutenant Jim Gavin says that this guy's home is a house of horrors and a fortress that only had one way in and one way out. He says that this guy would make women sign a waiver saying their interactions were consensual, but she felt like she was raped by him. So it seems like. He's actually going through that whole list that, you know, the you know, we talked about this, uh, how there's a new app for things that you will agree to with a new partner, like a consent app, a consent app. And you like check the boxes of the stuff that you're okay with and then you sign. So you're it's a consensual sex situation. It sounds like this guy was meeting these women, asking them what they were okay with and then doing the stuff that they weren't okay with. To, I don't know, some sort of sick, sick game he had. So I wonder if he believed, uh, um, let's assume for a second that, that he did this sort of thing. Is he a guy who believes that women want that fantasy, that that women want that uh, Maybe. rape fantasy know. or whatever, however you would describe it? I don't know. Two of this guy's victims felt so ashamed of what had happened and so hurt by it that they apparently commit uh, tried to commit suicide. Uh, it's just the it's a bizarre mentality, I suppose. And the idea that this was set up, I mean, that it, it, that his home was set up like that fortress where you only had one entrance, one exit. That's bizarre. Police say there's got to be more women and they want to hear from them. Uh, that this guy, because he was trolling all these websites and everything, there's got to be more uh, more victims. 
I haven't heard anything from this guy. I mean, uh, we don't have any uh, information about his lawyer or what the lawyer might even say. But in terms of the uh, the the women that he would choose, also you you know between the ages of twenty and twenty four, we already mentioned the troubled sexual history. They're away from home for the first time. Maybe they're college students or at least they're college age. They're totally alone. And Detective Gavin says, how do you explain to mom and dad what happened? How do you explain to them that you fell into something that was never supposed to be a weird rape dungeon fantasy thing? Entertainment Tonight had footage of them going to his house and breaking down the door pretty much. Uh, and you can see him in his face, and he's shocked, and he kind of puts his hands up, and then they've got a picture of him out on the on the curb there. He's got a gold chain on and, oh. a, and a robe. What did you say, Blake, yesterday about gold chains? Like, what's the best? Oh, I saw it was a it was a dating app profile I was swiping through, and some girl, it said, never trust a man with more than zero chains <laughs> or more than zero necklaces. Right. Yeah. That's a perfect line. Yeah. Hey, give my computer a little uh, sound here. Let's just listen into this report. Alleged rape arrest. Breaking down the door. Former reality TV star Michael Leslie Birnbach was barefoot and wearing a red robe when he was cuffed and taken into custody by police. He was accused of raping at least two women and was featured in an episode of Bravo's Millionaire Matchmaker. My net worth is north of $8 million. I own 10 homes. I can afford to do whatever it is that I want to do. The 62-year-old posted $300,000 bail last night. The rapes allegedly happened here, inside his Sherman Oaks home. The home was also featured on the Bravo reality show. And in his appearance it on looks the like show, a bachelor Burnback has discussed the 80s. preference for younger women. How young do you want these women? I want somebody young that could have children still. We reached out to Bravo and the <laughs> oh, network man. had no comment today. Police claim he met the alleged victims online. Oh, what boy. a dirtbag. I want them young so they can he, still pop out puppies. He looks like a terrible person. Just like one of those scummy like Atlantic City guys. And a gold chain. And gold, yeah, yeah the whole makes bit. Perfect whole bit. sense. All right. Hey, uh, we are going to give away $1,000. Uh, if you got nasty gold chain mouth, you got a crunk going on, you can call Hunting Dental for a f- what? Nothing. That's what the kids say. Oh, yeah, no, got it. Call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640-SMILE. Keep listening a few minutes. We'll tell you exactly how it is we're going to let you have some money. Also, you know what I would like to give away? Yeah, do it right now. Get it. I'd like to give away some movie tickets. I mean, you're giving away $1,000. It happens to be free movie Friday. You're going to need that $1,000 to afford your uh, afford your popcorn. Free movie Friday with the Adam Tickets. It's back. The easiest way to plan a night at the movies is with the Adam Tickets app. They're giving you a chance at free movie tickets so you got to text them now ready text reporter to adam one for your chance to win that's reporter to atom one the adam tickets app where you can browse movie titles buy tickets invite friends pre-order concessions all from your phone skip those lines a couple of seconds here we're going to give you uh an update on the Corey feldman story if you remember Corey feldman was attacked oh, he by was a wolf stabbed. Pack. he was jabbed stabbed by a wolf pack We'll explain what's going on with Corey and uh, check in with him and get an update on our attempts to get Corey in here in just a second. But first, here's how you can win $1,000. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword LUCK 
to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's luck to 200-200. It is possible that you win. And just like Amanda and Yukaipa, answer the phone when they call you. If you win, they'll call you and you got to tell you you win $1,000. If you don't answer the phone, they'll move on to somebody else. I somebody was- like Brenda in San Bernardino who also won $1,000. I thought of something um, unfortunate that could happen when we're reading names like that. Yeah. Well, say you know Brenda and Ukaipa. Yeah. Like, say you're a friend of Brenda's. Uh, you, you're like, I know a Brenda and Ukaipa. And maybe you're a little down on your luck. And then you find out, listening to the Gary and Shannon show, that Brenda's just come into some ho- uh, cold, hard cash. Yes. And then you call her up. Uh-huh. And you're like, hey, Brenda, spot me 100 Spread some of that cheese, girl. Yeah. And then she gets pissed at us. Because we told everyone that mm-hmm. there's more than one Brenda in Ukaipa. That's true. That's true. That's what Brenda could say. And not all of them won $1,000. Yeah. Like, oh, you heard what? Yeah, that wasn't me. You and I know which Brenda won, but we're not telling everybody which Brenda won. Corey Feldman has taken to Instagram to further the story of how he was stabbed by a group he calls the Wolf Pack. He calls it a nearly fatal wound. I'm going to go out. I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to go out a limb right now and say it was not a nearly fatal wound. This was uh, an alleged attack attack that happened on Tuesday. What are you doing over there? Trying to find his song. Oh, oh, continue. Please, 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 please continue. Now, Feldman's attorney has blamed road rage for the incident uh, when Corey Feldman claims he was stabbed with a knife or a syringe. And... Feldman has posted a picture on Instagram of what looks to be like a scratch, like a a minor scratch. And he writes in the caption in all caps, the world's smallest knife wound or. So he admits this is not a gaping garish wound, but a wound nonetheless. nonetheless. He still is kind of holding on to the fact that it could be or the possibility, I should say, that it could be a syringe that he was stabbed with. Which would be terrifying. Listen, that's terrifying. He thinks that he was attacked because of his decision to speak out against child sex abuse in Hollywood. I heard on John and Ken that that he wanted $50 million to name names, that he wanted $50 million for a documentary to name names. And people, there was a lot of backlash, like, why do you need that much money? Just name the names kind of thing. Which is interesting because there is a list. He has named names. When he was interviewed in the Michael Jackson investigation, Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Detectives in, uh, interviewed him, and he named names. So that exists somewhere. I feel like it was more of the Corey Haim stuff. Remember when it came out that Corey Haim was uh, raped by a prominent actor on a right. set, and there people were talking about, was it... Um, was it the one that Charlie Sheen was in? Oh, yes. Great movie. The hell was the name of it? Anyway. Uh, he has had blood and urine tests, Corey Feldman has, um, run by the hospital. Those have come back clean of both drugs and infectious diseases. Well, that's good. I repeat, Corey Feldman is not on drugs, not forced drugs through a mysterious syringe, nor drugs of his own taking. I think that's perfectly fine. I mean, I think that's not a surprise. That he's clean. He's talked about being clean for a long time. Um, his attorney has told People Magazine 
that this is the place that he was attacked. He was right on Ventura Boulevard. And he said it's a kind of a place where people cruise. I think it was an ego thing. They got into a staring contest with Corey's security guard, the guys who supposedly did this. And now there looks like road rage. Uh, at the light, one of the guys gets out of the car, and the security card, instead Lucas. of just taking off... Lucas is the name of the movie. He, right. With uh, Winona Ryder was also in there. Yes. Um, while he was distracted, the, while the security guy was distracted, one of the alleged attackers circled around, opens the door, catches Corey by surprise, and attacks him with a sharp object. Um, I don't know a lot of people who are... Uh, giving Corey backlash for a claim that he was molested by a Hollywood executive? Well, the lawyer says there's a lot of people trolling him uh, on social media that have made threats to him. Why would you threaten the guy for saying that he was victimized? People threaten each other for all sorts of stuff on social media. It's like you don't even need a reason. Do you see poor Kelly Ripa get ripped up over her uh, bathing suit picture? What was wrong with her bathing suit Nothing picture? was wrong with it, but people were uh, people are just apples. On social media. What would they possibly say about that nice woman? I know. She almost had me. No, I don't think you were ever. I mean, yes. You were right up until the final cut there, and she picked Ryan Seacrest. They try to beat you down. They put you on the ground. They leave you lying there. They're broken down. They make a sound. Don't you notice them. They check your life again. Make you pick from us. It's still nobody notice them. Oh, so the angels. Yep. Did they, um, since I wasn't, I wasn't at the game last night, did they play that at Dodger Stadium? Can I play that instead of Erica Jane? No, absolutely not. I don't remember hearing that. You don't remember? Were you at the game too? Mm-hmm. You didn't hear Corey Amy, Amy was probably sitting in Los Angeles proper, <laughs> unlike myself. <laughs> I was in Los Angeles proper. Remember there was all this talk when he went all the morning shows with his angels for this performance, and it was like, why are we, why are we doing this? Like, we're evil people for, for putting him on the morning shows, because clearly it's just a sick, like, period. Let's see how far he's fallen kind of thing. A friend of mine who actually helped, he's an investor of mine. His name is Brian McMullen. And he was on the phone with me. I was all depressed and I was crying. And he said, think of it this way. When Kiss first started, when Eminem first started, when Nirvana first started, they all got hate. People were turning them off at the radio stations. People were walking off the dance floor at the clubs because it didn't make sense to them at that time. But those all became amazing legends. Right. So just think of it that way. And that really turned it around for me because I'm like, you know what? You're right. A lot of people get hate in the beginning because we're doing something new. It hasn't been done before. But it's all about innovation and being an artist. And we can't be afraid to share our art. Okay. That said, let's listen to a little bit of the song again. I didn't want to look at it through another lens. Come on, let's go for it. We got nothing to lose, so baby, baby, let's go for it. Come on, let's go for it. We got nothing to lose, so baby, baby, let's go for it. Come on, let's go for it. We're best in the 
Well, it's different. That's for sure. I'm inspired to go for it. I'm going for it. What are you going to go for? I'm working on that part Unclear, of it. Clear, yeah. Okay. Uh, Nick, quick update on uh, what's going on with our attempts to get Corey Feldman in here. Uh, Michelle and I have been reaching out. Uh-huh. Uh, haven't heard anything today. Uh-huh. Uh, Michelle reached out again, right. and maybe we're trying to see for Monday. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's exciting. It'd be quite a coup. Yeah. I would. Keep we're going him, for it. I would keep him for an hour or two. What do you think? We I don't know. Maybe your next vacation, here? I keep him for the entire show. There we go. You a co-host with him? That would sure. be fun. That'd be Mouth Monday, right? Mouth Monday. Was that his name in the Goonies? You know what? Maybe that's how we frame it. We frame it as him co-hosting. The Gary and Corey show? Yeah. No, Corey and Gary. Gary. Corey and Gary. I think Corey. (laughs) I mean, just for like a guest co-host. You can't stay forever. I am coming back. I mean, maybe maybe I don't come back. Maybe maybe it's magical and he stays (laughs) forever. Dean Sharp, when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon. Yes. Friday, March 30th. Uh, It is Good Friday, first day of Passover, $521 million Mega Millions tonight. We are in the pool, right? I mean, we We are in the pool. You didn't just pocket my two bucks and. I did not. Go buy some MMs or anything. I did not. All right. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's funny to do a pool. When you uh, all work together, because if we win, we all leave. Ain't no one coming in the next day. <laughs> That's the point. I didn't <laughs> Dead um, air. <laughs> Dean Sharp has joined us, host of uh, Home here on Sundays here on KFI. I almost just said Dark Secret Place. No, he is not the. But that I just would be, about I, as far away from that as I you know, can get. Would right? be an interesting crossover. It would be. It's like a weird juxtaposition. Dark Dean Secret and Brian. Home. Yeah, right. Dark Secret Home. That sounds like the, <laughs> the dark inside web. story. Uh, we are on uh, Facebook Live as well at Gary and Shannon, and also on your page as well. So uh, you can yeah. check out and see what's going on in the studio today because you have brought with uh, you. Uh, what's going on? Hot chocolate. Uh, no, it's just water. What is the it's okay? So on. here's the setup. Okay. Uh, what Sunday is April first, right? Right. Yes. It's tax season, right? Officially, and that means it is uh, remodel season. People are thinking about their refunds. They're getting ready. They're considering how much are we going to do. A lot of kitchen renovations in the the old cooker right now. Thinking it through, and so this is a officially in a public service announcement to let people know that as they're planning it out, don't count out the newest. Uh, trending technology for your kitchen that being induction cooktops tell me more it's not a new technology it's been around since the 80s all right uh, bill handel was almost thinking about putting one in his house 20 years ago but went uh in the direction of gas when i think cutting cooktop. edge technology i mean i think bill handel well, of course right so uh <laughs> see now you just ruined it all sorry um <laughs> Anyway, play, play uh, nice. they have come. They have come of age. Induction cooktops. So people ask me all the time. They're like, "Well, I'm more of a serious cook, so I'm going to go gas." And I'm like, "Okay, you obviously have not considered this seriously, because the simple fact of the matter is, today's induction cooktops are more powerful than gas. They are more accurate than gas. They are more responsive than gas cooktops. What do you mean more powerful? More powerful, as in, you know, everybody gets used to thinking in terms of BTUs. Like, I've got that one uh, super, I've got a gas cooktop at home. 
that's got a, uh, I think, a 24,000 BTU, uh, you know, hyperboil right burner. Is, right, that yeah. big boy right there. We think, oh, that BTU power. you got to remember uh, that gas cooking, 60% efficiency of gas cooking. So when we talk about all those BTUs, like a 20,000 BTU burner, it's only 12,000 BTUs going into the pan. So when we talk about power, an induction cooktop that is a maybe 3,000, 3,500-watt induction cooktop, more power than the big burner on the gas stove. More accuracy, no heat. So the whole point of doing this visually today, as you can see here, as I track over, yeah, see what we got? The water is boiling. boiling. We started this right in the commercial break. Oh, wow. The water is boiling, but here's the thing. If you noticed, I'm boiling this water through a tea towel that's been folded up four times. You have the little induction machine, which just looks like a an oversized food scale almost. It, yeah, it, it looks like, you know, like that uh, that hot plate that you would buy for your college students. Sure. Throw in the door. And that's exactly what this is, actually. Okay, but it's not a hot plate because induction cooktops work by way of magnetic <laughs> fields. Don't put your hand on that. There's no heat. The point is they don't generate heat. What that they was do, a really cool trick. What they do is that's why this towel is not burning. An induction cooktop uses a magnetic field to grab onto the molecules in a pan, wow. any ferrous metal pan, meaning any pan that a magnet will stick to. So it doesn't have to be some new fangled induction cookware. It can be a cast iron skillet, anything that's magnetic. The magnetic field of the cooktop grabs onto the molecules in the pan and starts undulating them back and forth. It creates the friction that heat normally creates, except it does it without heat. Now, the so pan now is- this is a little warm right now. The only yeah, don't touch the pan because right. it's boiling the water. Yeah. It is at normal temperature for boiling water. This, it's a little warm. It's only warm because the pan was warming up the cooktop, not the other That's way so around. To, to retrofit and take my old uh, five or six burner thing out of my cooktop now and replace it with an induction cooktop like this. Is that a, is it? How much is that? Price prohibitive? Yeah. All you need is the power supply. And uh, you I know, don't need a gas most, line or anything. You don't need the gas line. Kill the gas line. You need to run, for most of these, you need to run 220 to that location. Right. And then you're good to go. You can swap it out. 220, The other nice thing about these is what I love, especially in a space-limited environment, uh, we've done a couple of custom high-end installations just recently. And the whole goal, in fact, Tina and I are actually going to be putting one in our kitchen and when we renovate it later this year because I've got this nice black soapstone island uh, that's going in. Not to brag. Not just what it is. Soapstone. <laughs> it's, it's America's stone. And uh, this uh, nice black soapstone island, but we've got limited space in our kitchen. We live in a small house, as you guys know. So we're still going to have limited space in the kitchen. And these guys with their glass ceramic tops that look very much like the old electric halogen coil cooktops, it's going to set in flush to the rest of my counter space. Oh, that's cool. And so when I'm not using it... Even right after, space. even right after yeah. I've used it, it's not hot, and wow. it's just more countertop. There are no visible knobs; it's all touch censored. And here's the thing: not only do they get more powerful on on the on the big burn on the jet burn, but they're more sensitive than the most sensitive gas cooktops. So, normally, for those cooks out there who know, like if you were going to temper chocolate, you're going to melt chocolate properly. 
you have to use a double boiler. You've got to put water in a pan and then put another pan inside so that the water kind of is a buffer from the heat of the flame uh, at the bottom of the pan. Not with an induction cooktop. You can just melt chocolate right out of the pan because they can go that low. They can go that high. They can go that low. They're flat. They're clean. Uh, For the future of home appliances, which is solar-oriented because we're buffering our power bills with solar, we're not using a non-renewable source of gas, there are just very, very few arguments against induction cooktops. Every major manufacturer has several of them now. Every manufacturer has several models. And so I'm not saying it's absolutely the cure-all for everybody, but if we are in the uh, remodel vein of thought right now, don't neglect looking into this tech because as far as I'm concerned, from where I'm sitting, this is the future of both uh, middle-class and high-end kitchen cooktops. There are commercial kitchens pulling out their gas ranges to go with replacing them with these because this of the flexibility. Just looking at it and hearing you describe what will go into your kitchen, it's going from the old knobs and sliders of Captain Kirk's USS Enterprise to the flat panel displays that we saw in Jean-Luc Picard's USS Enterprise. You just really nerded that one out. You really did. But, but it's but true. I also nailed it. It is true. And in it's space, so... no one can hear you scream. No one can hear you boil water. <laughs> in you. space. Thank you, Dean. Thanks, Dean. <laughs> uh, Sunday from 9 to 11 right here on KFI. Dean, uh, the host of Home right here on KFI. All right, when we come back, Uh, A little bit more about last night's game and uh, the baseball season. And Shannon has to explain what she witnessed at Dodger Stadium yesterday. Oh, man. We just got another refrigerator email. What's wrong with your refrigerator? Nothing. It's the people. Remember, we we fixed this problem with the old building manager. Yeah, we got the guy fired. Well, he did get fired. Um, It wasn't because of us. Did you read the subject of this email? Yeah, and he misspells it. Uh Uh-oh. All right. We'll talk about that when we come back. (laughs) Gary and Shannon will continue. Let her cry. sound the same, Blake. That's what 1995 was all about. Conformity. All sound the same. They do. It's like Ace of Base. Some comes up tomorrow, let it pray. What? Oh, let her be. Let, yeah. If then he says let her cry. Yeah, let her cry, let her be. Make her feel better. Fine, just let her cry it out. Um, we are uh, at the bottom of next hour in Swamp Watch. Going to get into the uh, story about the president and what he said about Syria. He's talking about the withdrawal of American troops from Syria very, very soon. And everybody in Washington said, what you talking about, Willis? They that- t- he takes everyone by surprise with some of this stuff. And he had said this before. I mean... The idea that people are surprised is not a surprise because he said, I'm not the guy who's going to tell you when we're withdrawing troops so that others can come in and, you know, take claim over the territory that we are giving up at one point. Uh, Looking at you, ISIS. So that, I guess, makes sense. But anyway, we'll explain what it is that he meant when he said he's getting into uh, uh, getting out of Syria. So as I made my way up to the top deck in Glendale yesterday at the ball game. Uh, I passed some new culinary. You were at Dodger Stadium, but so far away from the action that it felt like Glenda. Yes. Okay. I don't want people. I didn't to think feel like I had to explain team. the joke, okay. but <laughs> well, but thank you. Sure. Um, okay. So anyway, I'm making my way up to the top deck, and remember we had talked about the new culinary delights, uh, the uh, 
Cheeto Lote, the tortoises, <laughs> yes, um, all that stuff, the, the new ice cream delight. Well, I found some other culinary options as I'm making my way up to Glendale there. And I passed by a place and it has lobster rolls. It had like like we're at Fenway. It's got clam chowder and a bread bowl, like we're at Pac Bell or AT and T or whatever right. the hell it's called. And uh, a shrimp po boy. That would be interesting. Of all what you just said, I think shrimp po boy is the only thing I'm. Well, shrimp po boy is delicious, particularly if you're at Uncle Darrow's in, in Carson. But. A shrimp po' boy is not what I go to Dodger Stadium for. No. Uh, a, a clam chowder in a bread bowl, I do not order in Los Angeles, no. California. Uh, as do I not order lobster roll sandwich. What would you order? What, what would you I mean, think yeah, outside like, of a Dodger dog, outside of like sunflower seeds, popcorn, beer? What, what would be a quintessential food that you think must be sold in high quantities at Dodger Stadium. You just named the things that should be sold at Dodger Stadium. And nothing Stadium. else? I mean, why mess around with things that other cities excel at? Why not just own the Dodger dog? You know, top it with the chili and the jalapenos and the cheese and, and just own it. You know, you want to do bacon-wrapped hot dogs? Absolutely. But what are you doing with the clam chowder? What are you doing with the bread bowl? You can't, you can't make a bread bowl in Los Angeles. The bread here is not very good. The bread doesn't rise very it's well. A, it's, in our not, it's not. It's not the right? right kind of bread to put clam chowder in. For the love of God, you know you do you, Dodger Stadium. You don't need to be anybody else. You don't need to be Fenway. You don't need to be Pac Bell. So last night on ESPN, the last game that they aired was the Indians in Seattle to take on the Mariners. Yeah, and you're at like slice eight at this point. Oh, I was beyond that. Oh, okay. This most of I, I watched most of that game at home, but the guys on ESPN, David Ross was doing the color commentary. I can't remember the name of the guy who was doing play by play, but they had the executive chef from Safeco Field in the booth with them, basically hand delivering them the new options that they have at Safeco Field, which is a spectacular place for for ballpark. Yes, food. it is. It's um, a great place to watch a game. They have a bucket of grasshopper. Uh, yeah, grasshoppers. They call it something weird, but they have a bucket of grasshoppers. Grasshoppers? Yeah, like seasoned fried grasshoppers. Hmm. And they'll only sell 300-some-odd bowls each game. Because of grasshopper cruelty? They sell out all the time. All the time. Are you going to—would you eat a bowl of grasshoppers? No. I know that insects are the new thing, and they're going to be the thing that keeps us alive when our uh, 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 agriculture seasoned. system. You're fine. What did you just say? They're seasoned. seasoned. You're fine. You won't even know it's a grasshopper. You'll think it's a. Uh, Do you know what? An onion ring. Do you know what? No, it Probably. looks like a grasshopper. Have you ever eaten one of those uh, lollipops with like the mealworm in it or the scorpion in it? That's the dumbest thing you've said today, and I thought the first one was dumb. That was wow. a question. <laughs> Guys, can we play nice? Uh, speaking of playing nice, yes, Blake told me a troubling story about an ESPN broadcaster going after Puig for the whole bat thing, the whole licking of the bat, and the t- and the tongue wagging. You're not supposed to lick the bat. No, it was the tongue wagging that oh. he had more of an issue with. Oh, I don't care about that. And he it's says, not good. He People, said, what did he say again? He it was a it was they showed this clip of you know when uh, in the playoffs when he slid into second and he comes up and looks at his teammates right. and wags his tongue around. Yeah, and he goes, he's been. Uh, He's been come known for wagging his tongue like this, and it's been a little bit too much of it, if you ask me. There's some decorum to think about. 
Well, who the hell are you, you jackass? Of, I don't think of decorum and uh, Yasiel Puig what in a, the same what a, sentence. What a jackass. And no one like, asked him. Hell, yeah, no, nobody asked him his opinion. Well, you have two analysts sitting in that booth with you who said nothing. Sometimes Grandpa gets a... Uh, well, then who was it? It was the play-by-play. From last night? Yeah. So it was Matt Vaskurgeon. There you go. Oh, that's ridiculous. And Jessica Mendoza and A-Rod sat there and said nothing. Nothing. Oh, What's his name? Matt Vaskurgeon. I usually like him until yeah, now. I, I didn't. I didn't know he was. I didn't know he was ninety-four years old. We talked about the good old days with Ty Cobb. I'm going to tweet him. This episode of Baseball Gone Awry on Gary and Shannon. Today's game, the only one in progress right now. The Buckles are up in Motor City taking on the Big Cats, Pirates, Tigers. Pirates hold a 4-2 lead in the top of the sixth frame. Are we doing live scores on the show now? We just did. Okay. Whoever that guy was. I liked that guy. Gary and Shannon will continue. He reminded me of the good old days. Right after this. Painkiller. Gary and Shannon. It is Friday. Rather than the old-fashioned flashback Friday... We dropped acid we, in the uh, office this morning. We have apparently made a grave error in judgment. Uh, well, you guys said it was a grave error when you told me to do it. I know. We were talking about Erica Jane uh, this morning and then decided maybe we'd, we'd sprinkle in some of her music. And then we were talking about the fact that I'm going to Sacramento to watch Wilson Phillips. I'm not doing that. And I, Nick no, said, no, no, that would not be. Not Nick there said, is a line, Blake. There was this one time. That I went to State Line, State right? Line to see Hootie and the Blowfish, and I felt like that was comparable to Wilson Phillips tonight in Sacramento. I went to State Line to see Trace Atkins one time. Yeah, see that? I didn't know that State Line was a place where concerts happen. It's popping. Yeah, it, it is yeah. popping. It is popping. Were you at the Cal Neva Casino? Or no, I was you... at the Prim. Uh... Something. Oh yeah, Prim. Oh, it's you were out prim. here. Yes. Yeah. Not oh, up in was, Northern California. For some reason, I just thought Tahoe. Wait, there's state lines at other places. Yes. Well, there's state oh, lines everywhere. Big, big long state line, Blake. Mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> quite many miles of state line somewhere. And it's all popping. Hey, what else is going? On? <laughs> Time for what's happening. Uh, a story Amy mentioned there. Uh, we found out this morning. The story out of Sacramento about Stefan Clark, the unarmed black man who was shot and killed by Sacramento police in grandma's backyard. The private autopsy showed that he was shot eight times from behind or the side. And according to the private autopsy, it took an estimated three to ten minutes for him to actually die, which raises more questions about why he wasn't given more immediate medical care after the shooting and raises questions about why, on the body camera footage, they muted their microphones and then talked about what was going on while Stefan Clark bled out at their feet. It's none of this stuff, granted, it's going to be from the family, so it's a private autopsy. The expectation was that it's not going to be great. That's not great news. No. And it makes the, the story that much more difficult to, uh, to, to talk about and to swallow. The widow of the shooter who killed 49 people at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando has walked out of jail a free woman. She was acquitted in federal court. 
She left the building uh, a couple hours ago. Jury found her not guilty of helping her husband commit the Pulse nightclub attack and lying to the FBI. She did not answer questions from the media. She hung onto the arm of an attorney as she walked to a waiting car. Not guilty of obstruction and providing material support to a terrorist organization. They made her out to be a victim in a lot of this. They said that she was in an abusive relationship and that she didn't have the mental acuity to understand what was going on around her. So... There's a strange story out of Kentucky that's been trending, especially on the East Coast today. An off-duty police over, uh, sorry, police officer, off-duty police officer was pulled over and shot and killed by a guy pretending to be a police officer. Philip Meacham, 38 years old, driving in his personal vehicle in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, when he was pulled over by this fake officer and shot and killed. It took hours uh, for for the real police to find the fake officer, and they eventually shot and killed him at a, ho- a hotel outside Clarksville, Tennessee, about thirty miles south of where the original shooting took place. Just a that is bar- that is a very odd. They don't know if at this point the, he the off duty officer, if Officer Meacham was targeted by this guy, if maybe the real officer realized that this guy was faking it and put up some sort of a a fight or there was a confrontation and that the guy pulled out a gun and shot him just to get away with it. I I don't know. It's a weird, weird story. Arnold Schwarzenegger has been trending all day long and will probably continue to do so. He had to have open heart surgery, emergency open heart surgery, according to uh, TMZ and uh, the Merck News here. It looks like he uh, was having a valve replaced. Uh, He had elective heart surgery back in 1997 when he was 49 to replace a defective congenital aortic heart valve. Um, And it seems like he needed to get a a new valve put in there. He is in stable condition. One of the stories about uh, locally was uh, trending. SpaceX attempted a high-speed boat recovery of the uh, Falcon 9 nose cone. They uh, launched super early this morning from up in Vandenberg, and they were going to attempt to catch the fairing using a high-speed boat known as Mr. Steven. I think it's creepy when you call people Mr. and use their first name. Like if I were to say Mr. Blake. Right. Mr. Nick. It's like a cat's name. Is it different? Like, like, I can see you could, would call a cat Mr. Blake. Mr. Fistmitten? Oh. I don't know what you what are you talking about. Are you talking about the Dr. Oz show about toilet <laughs> I'm paper? I'm talking about kittens. Little kitty Mr. Fistmitten. Westworld news. Yes. Westworld's been canceled. Shut up. Now you're just <laughs> messing around. <laughs> <laughs> That's for fist mittens. <laughs> One of the uh, <laughs> the images that's been trending on social media is yet another Jim Carrey art piece. He tweeted a picture. I didn't of, know he was a, in the art business. Well, remember he did one about he did one of Sarah Huckabee Sanders last week. And got some. He he didn't refer to it as Sarah Huckabee Sanders, but it's clear that's who he was referring to. Hmm. He has debuted on social media his official portrait of the 45th president of the United States, with a big terry cloth robe, mouth wide open, one finger on one nipple, Mm. and a bowl full of ice cream. I don't think anyone's trying to see that. Nope. Nope. But he tweeted to the National Smithsonian Portrait Gallery, 
for the Smithsonian National Portrait Gallery. Uh, I know it's early, but I'd like to submit this as the official portrait of our 45th president. It's called You Scream, I Scream, Will We Ever Stop Screaming? Hmm. That guy is just rich with social commentary, is he not? Well, there was a lot of talk about the Pope saying that there is no hell. I saw that headline a lot yesterday, and I couldn't really find definitive answers on what it was all about. Well, the Vatican has come out today and said uh, there is a hell. Everyone, rest assured, if you went to sleep easy last night thinking there was no (laughs) hell, don't worry, you could still face a lifetime of eternal damnation. Great. Eternal damnation. So news. we've got that going for us on Good Friday. I'm Gary and Shannon. Plus, your chance to win $1,000 and take the hell with you. Brought to you by Cunning Dental. Hellish mouth? Call Cunning Dental for a free exam. You are on fire with those today. 888 640 Smile. Keep listening. We'll tell you how to win. Getting into some B sides now for Hootie and the Bullfish. Is that no? This isn't a B side. Uh, I go blind. It was number four on yeah. Spotify. I, I know. You're nuts. This is this is one of the. I go blind. I'm pretty sure we started B side. It's not from that first album, but it's no. This uh, is second still, album. Still, it's a it's a Hootie favorite. Hey, we got a thousand dollars to give away. Here's yeah, how you're gonna yeah. win it. Your shot at one thousand dollars now. Text the keyword bank to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's bank to 200-200. And you win, you're going to get a phone call. Might be from a number you don't recognize. If you don't answer, they'll move on to somebody who will and give them $1,000. But we're giving you a chance to win $1,000 once an hour from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday right here on KFI. You subscribe to La Repubblica? Uh, I do not. La Repubblica is a very well-known, long-time Italian newspaper. Yeah, I would if I spoke Italian. I do not. Speak Italian? Eugenio Scalfari is a long-time journalist for the long-running La Repubblica newspaper. And Eugenio did an interview with Pope Francis... There was some significant kerfluffelment uh, in the Catholic Church when this story hit the papers because Eugenio quoted Francis as saying, There is no hell. Well, that's exactly what he there well, that's, is, that's the quote that the guy wrote down. There is no hell. There is the disappearance of sinful souls. Yes, they are not punished. Those who repent obtain the forgiveness of God and enter the rank of souls who contemplate him. But those who do not repent and cannot therefore be forgiven disappear. Wait, there's no hell. That right. means, Careful. I mean, why am I, why am Careful I, where you're going. why am I behaving? Why am I doing what my parents tell me to do? Why am I doing all the things that hell has Why been- shall I not steal? Right. Right. I mean, hell's been hanging over all our heads for our whole lives, the Vatican, forcing us to behave well. The Vatican says, uh, not so fast, communion face. Butter lips. The USA Today quotes the Vatican as saying that the story was the result of the reporter's reconstruction. What is reported, quote, what is reported by the author in today's article is the result of his reconstruction 
in which the literal words pronounced by the Pope are not quoted. No quotation of the aforementioned article must therefore be considered as a faithful transcription of the words of the Holy Father. So uh, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall at the Vatican when the aide rushes in. in and is like, holy crap, the Pope just went and if to you're La in- Repubblica and said there is no hell we need the crisis PR team in here. We need them stat. We have a major S storm on our hands here, popes. I'm I not mean, Catholic. Cardinals. I'm not Catholic, but if you're in the Vatican, do you do you have to say holy crap or do you, you just say bet crap? At your bottom, you do. Oh, everything is holy in the Vatican. You know what? That's... I when I was at the Vatican, uh, you walk out and they try to sell you stuff like rosaries and think Bibles. You know, the use. and uh, they've got one. Book one box of rosary beads uh, that are just rosary beads. You, right. know, you can buy them, and you say you you bought them at the Vatican, and that's cool, right? But then they've got another box of rosary beads, and those were said to have been blessed by the Pope. Oh, really? Now they'll cost you a hell of a lot more than the rosary beads right next to them that look identical that were not blessed by said Pope. Do they sell bottled water at the at the Vatican? Holy water. But I mean, just normal. Water too, like bottled water yeah. from the like for you to drink, yeah. As opposed to holy water for you to use for ceremonial. Uh, I don't remember, but I'm sure they do because it can get hot as you're waiting in line to get into the Vatican. The Catholic Church is very clear on their feelings about hell. Uh, but anyway, I bought the the rosary beads that weren't blessed, and then have been telling people that they were blessed by the Pope because they were a lot more they were a lot more expensive. So not only they were a lot now more you're expensive. lying they like, about they them? They were like $20 more than the beads that weren't blessed by the Pope. This is exactly why the Catholic Church believes so strongly in hell. So you don't do stuff like this? So that you don't lie about the rosary beads that you bought being blessed by the Pope. Well, nobody knows the difference. I mean, they're the same uh-huh. rosary beads. Psst. <laughs> yeah. He knows when you're lying. Santa? No, not. (laughs) All right. If you think that that's a good idea, I can't wait until. Save uh, myself about 45 bucks. Same. Same. Peter greets you at the gates. At dinner. Bought me a bottle of wine with that. And he just looks down the list and he's like, well. Oh, that's what he's going to bring up? (laughs) Well, I mean, the wine thing is not really. I mean, Jesus drank wine, so that's not like a thing. That's not a that's not a deal breaker. But he looks down. He's like, "So, uh, what can you tell me about these uh, rosary beads you got here?" Saint Peter is going to say, "Hey, Hoffman, what can you tell me about this pole that you danced on at the gay bar in Philadelphia?" And, that's what he's going to say to you. And, I mean, at least I was buying a rosary. Hey, at least I've repented of my sin. All right. So the takeaway is there is a hell. Yeah. Okay. Catholic Church is very clear. Um, they said that uh, this uh, UK has been saying that the Pope since 2015 has made comments denying the existence of hell. To quote the Catholic news agency, do you get their stuff? We don't subscribe to their feed, no, do we? They, they, they don't let me have their stuff. Immediately after death, the souls of those who die in a state of mortal sin descended to hell where they suffer the punishments of hell, eternal fire. The chief punishment of hell is eternal separation from God, in whom alone man can possess the life and happiness, 
for which he was created and for which he belongs. How do you go to Catholic school and not know all this? Why you have a giant smile on your face right now? We've got Swamp Watch. Ah, we come back. That's where it goes. By the way, Good Friday. Not good. I have a question. Not good. About Easter. Get it. Where does the bunny come in? That's a pagan thing. But bunnies tend to be, like baby bunnies specifically are like a springtime. It's the rebirth. Oh, okay. What it was was uh, they stole, from my understanding, Christians actually steal a lot of holiday times yes. from pagans. Interesting, isn't they it? They hijack. Well, they hijack it because if our if our uh, what is it? If uh, what is this um, holiday? There we yep. go. That was there the word. If our holiday is happening when yours is, and ours is more important, then yours is going to get forgotten. It's kind of the idea. But they used bunnies because they're a sign of fertility. So in the pagan thing, they were using the bunnies, the rabbits, for a fertility symbol. So they t- took it and. Kind of tra- transferred it. So up. it's like taking back the symbol, yeah. the symbolism. Yeah, that's it's kinda... like the women in the uh, hats. Yes, got it. Yeah. And it's and that's why Easter is. In, I mean, uh, Christmas is in December is because that was winter sol- solstice, and they wanted to take that away too. Not only did you ruin Easter, Easter bunnies for me, you you've ruined hats for me. This is a horrible Friday. <clears throat> Swamp Watch, and we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Okay. Gary and Shannon. Before we get to Swamp Watch. Oh, this is not a Swamp Watchy thing? It is a Swamp Watchy thing. Oh, okay. But um, it's not usual type Swamp Watch news. Okay. This is proof that more people listen to the show than we thought. Oh. There are four conservative Republicans in the House that are going to be airing their grievances with Washington in a new video series. This is going to be a Facebook video series. It's going to be released early next week. And it's called uh, Swamp Watch. The Swamp. Oh, really? Yeah. Really interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, Nick, quick question: uh, How is it going with the uh, trademark and copyright office? It's going Our good. discussions about uh, copywriting the Swamp Watch stuff. Um, I'm on top of it. At least have a call in, right? I do. Yeah, I left a few messages with uh, Gail over at the copyright office. <laughs> Gail. So, good. That sounds okay. about right. All right. That's perfect. And she's off today, though. So. Oh, well, it is good she's Friday. She's off, like, all the time. Well, you know Gail. I mean. It's Cesar Chavez Day, though, isn't it? Yeah, she's out uh, for that, too. Today it is? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff going on today. Oh, and Passover? Yeah. And Good Friday? And Good Friday. Uh, but, all right. Yeah. So one of the stories that's bubbling up out of Washington, D.C., is uh, Scott Pruitt, the EPA administrator. Um, the... 24-hour security that he gets uh, being the administrator of the EPA extends to some of his personal trips, according to a letter that uh, Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse sent to the inspector general at the EPA. This was based on some information that Whitehouse says he confidentially obtained from some unnamed sources, raises some questions about more government official travel, specifically Scott Pruitt's EPA-funded security. And says that 
Pruitt has used his security detail while he was on non-official business, including trips to his home in Oklahoma and to a family vacation to Disneyland. And, oh, if you remember, he was also out here at the Rose Bowl game. So Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island, he is going after him. There's also a story in uh, thehill.com that his security detail had to break down the door of his apartment last year. Wow. Never heard this before. ABC News cited uh, police radio and some sources familiar with this matter that said that the EPA security workers that are detailed to Scott Pruitt could not reach him by phone. They knocked on the door and he did not answer uh, of the condo where he was living at the time. So they actually called 911 had a fire engine and an ambulance sent to this property on Capitol Hill, and security officers broke down the door and went into his bedroom to find him because they were afraid that he was unconscious. You know where he was? Unconscious. Oh, really? Well, I mean, he, had, he was taking a nap. Sleeping, yeah. He was taking a nap. So he was fine. He declined any medical treatment. Um, there were also some issues that bubbled up because of he was living at the the home that was owned by a health lobbyist married to an energy lobbyist, and he is in the EPA, and there was concern that there was maybe some crossover there, but I think we'll be okay. And he's fine. He woke up. The president appeared to signal the withdrawal very soon, using his language of U.S. troops from Syria yesterday, uh, quite the surprise to the Pentagon and the State Department. He told a crowd in Ohio during a speech on infrastructure spending, he says, by the way, we're knocking the hell out of ISIS. We're coming out of Syria very soon. Let the other people take care of it now. Very soon. Very soon we're coming out. There are approximately 2,000 U.S. troops inside Syria that have been working alongside the Syrian Democratic Forces, reclaiming territory from ISIS, uh, including Raqqa, which was once ISIS's capital, essentially. Um, In addition, State Department and the U.S. International Agency for Development have dozens of officials on the ground there to stabilize cities and towns after ICE has been swept out of there. Yeah, these are the these are the ones that work with international partners, pulling up old mines, uh, removing rubble, trying to restore basic services, water, electricity, trying to get schools and hospitals back up and running. The fact that we'd be out of there very soon was news to the Pentagon and State Department. (laughs) This is this is the stuff that makes me laugh about this administration, because the president says something and the reporters doing their job call the Pentagon. They call the press office at the Pentagon. They go, hey, uh, president mentioned something about a plan to remove troops. You know, is there a timeline on that? And the Pentagon goes, he said, what? (laughs) You're going to have to. Yeah, you're going to have to go through the White House. We have no idea what he's talking. about. That's exactly what they said. And the State Department, they get Heather Nauert on the phone and they're like, hey, uh, president just mentioned something about. You know, uh, pulling 2,000 troops uh, and other aid workers out of Syria. Um, do you have any details on that? And she goes, ah, you got me. That that's kind of stuff is what makes me laugh about this administration. But oh, I've got another thing that might make you laugh. Oh, about it. bring it then. I love it. Staffers in the have you ever heard of icing, not hockey icing? Yeah, it's when you make a pass when you pass. Is it crosses three lines? Crosses three lines with nobody touching it. Yeah, I think right. so. Right. Okay. Or two lines. I think it's two lines. Is it two lines? lines? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. This is a different kind of icing. And this is a game that's played apparently in the White Hot, at the White House. 
There is a White House office responsible for recruiting political appointees. And it is very short of staff. There's a lot of inexperience. It's one of it. The the goal is that this office places qualified people in key posts across the government. And this office right now is run by people who don't know what they're doing and not many of them. All right. So we got a report from what they have been doing inside the uh, inside the office. What's it called? The presidential personnel office. Staffers inside this office have been playing the drinking game called icing. Uh, They were celebrating the 30th birthday of the office's deputy director. Let that sink in for a minute. The game involves hiding a bottle of Smirnoff ice. The rules say that whoever finds the beverage has to chug it. Well... I didn't know Smirnoff Ice was still a thing. Smirnoff Ice is just the... It's a Zima, right? Yeah. The Zima of our youth? I bought some for the Super Bowl all over Instagram and Twitter. It's a college thing. Yeah, but just... Again, we're just talking about like the wine cooler slash malt beverage. Yeah, Yeah, icing is like across the country. Not a giant bottle of Smirnoff vodka. No, it's just okay. like a like a soda bottle. A little 12 ounce, yeah. yeah. Okay. The Washington Post. Because one will kill you and one will make you smell like a frat boy. Yeah, there's videos of people like trying to catch them in terrible situations. I saw one, someone put it on the end of a fishing line and put it over the shower curtain. Okay. So they had to ice in the shower. <laughs> All things that should not be going on in the White House. In the presidential personnel office. Yes. This is a Washington Post special report. And the White House confirmed the Post that the staffers played the drinking game at the Eisenhower Executive Office building, but insisted that it and other social events like happy hours held at the office were not unusual, that they allowed personnel to network and socialize. Current and former White House officials told the Washington Post that staffers would stop by the office to lounge on couches and smoke electronic cigarettes. Since Trump took office, the PPO has only a fraction of the staffers that the previous administrations did. Most are in their 20s, have little professional experience. So this is not a surprise. No, but it's not good. (laughs) It's not good. Gary and Shannon will continue more Swamp Watch, including what it is that the president uh, supposedly looks for in his cabinet members. It's Mm. like an Easter egg hunt, but with Smirnoff ice. That's exactly. Hey, and everybody's got Easter coming up on Sunday. Got some plans? Gary and Shannon will continue with Swamp Watch right after this. Okay, I I don't know if Blake. It looked almost like you were holding in vomit just now while you're trying to play this song. Yeah, I think Nick kind of likes it. Uh, I think I Nick liked the song called Sex Shooter. No, yeah. that's this one. Yeah, that's this one. Oh. This is what I walked Started. into the studio that Shannon was playing. <laughs> and I had to do a double take at the screen. She again is what? 47? Yeah. And then her husband is 79? I well, didn't know you could rate songs this low on Spotify, by the way. <laughs> You can give it negative ratings. And why I, are some of them nine minutes long? I find her music to be catchy, and it's very big with the uh, gay man club community. Yeah, I was going to say, us. Blake, when you are in uh, when you're in a club, 
uh, a nine-minute song is good. Yeah. I suppose. The song, is, does it have, like, a, does she have, like, bass drops in her songs? Is there, like, a moment where everyone just loses it in the yeah. in the club? I think so. Yeah. That's good. That's good quality. We're in the middle of uh, Swamp Watch, talking about what's going on in Washington, D.C. Remember the story about Rob Porter? Do I? Rob Porter was a guy who was working with the president. I think he was in charge of, uh, he was like the president's uh, head secretary or uh, the secretary of personnel or something like that. Basically, all of the paperwork that went to the president's desk went through Rob Porter. Uh, he had a couple of girlfriends uh, slash wives who came forward and said that he was abusive to them. Rob Porter lost his job. There is another story. In this case, a Connecticut Democratic Congresswoman, Elizabeth Esty, who has been called upon to resign because she kept a former top-level aide on staff for several months after learning allegations that he had been harassing and threatening other staffers. Again, her name is Congresswoman Elizabeth Esty from Connecticut. She came under fire Because her former chief of staff, a guy named Tony Baker, had allegedly punched, berated, and threatened to kill another former aide whom he had previously dated. Uh, All of this was first reported in a a newspaper out of Connecticut. Upon learning about the allegations of her then chief of staff, she demanded that Baker seek counseling and launched an internal investigation and said repeatedly last night, how come I didn't see this? I asked myself over and over again. She apologized. She said she failed to protect that other staffer with whom he was uh, accused of beating and provide her with safe and respectful work environment that every employee deserves. This is not a one-party town, that's for sure. Um, And also, have you seen about Kellyanne Conway's husband? No, tell me more. So George Conway is a guy who has been critical of the president and has taken to the president's favorite arena to be critical of him twitter 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 yes including uh, one tweet in which george conway sarcastically wrote people are all banging on the doors to be his communications director Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. george conway is a prominent conservative attorney he also undid a retweet that featured a video clip from last weekend's interview with stormy daniels from 60 minutes he deleted one in which a former Obama administration official explained why he had not allowed the practice of asking staffers to sign NDAs, something that the Trump administration did allow. Uh, Conway confirmed to Politico earlier this week that, in fact, the GT Conway 3D is his Twitter handle. And once CNN got a hold of some of these and started going through his timeline and looking at what he was writing about the president and how critical they were, he went through and deleted some of them. This is interesting. He was considered uh, at the beginning of last year for the post of Solicitor General. Yeah. Uh, And then that didn't happen. And then he, in March of last year, he was reported to be the nominee of Assistant Attorney General to head the Civil Division at the U.S. Department of Justice. And then a couple months later, was like, I'm not going to pursue that post anymore. So, (laughs) ah, no love lost there, huh? You know, he went out with uh, Laura Ingram before he married Kellyanne Conway. So he's got a type? Uh, I suppose so. It's interesting to me. Um, He also included a tweet where he linked to the New York Times post 
about a story about the president's legal team and whether or not earlier this week they were discussing pardons for former aides Michael Flynn and Paul Manafort. And George Conway wrote uh, in response to those that the report was flabbergasting. Interesting use of that word, the flabbergasting. I had never used that word in that way. <laughs> I don't think anybody has. Um, the president announced, of course, that he was going to nominate the White House physician Ronnie Jackson to replace David Shulkin as head of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Just the latest switch up when it comes to the cabinet and the approach to appointments, according to some people, um, suggests that maybe he prefers loyalty over experience. Remember, of course, he does. Ben Carson is uh, Sterling K. Brown did a great impression of Ben Carson on Saturday Night Live a couple of weeks ago and explained why uh, he has absolutely no experience as housing and human develop or housing and urban development. Why he would be the secretary of that as opposed to, I don't know, something medical, surgeon general or something like that. And this is one of those examples. Ronnie Jackson, as great a doctor as he may be and has been, you know, obviously efficient enough and um, proficient enough, I should say, to be the doctor for three different administrations. It's a different deal. He's never done administrative work before, at least not to this degree. Exactly. So now he's got to be an executive. Policy and executive. Exactly. It's weird. But he's been loyal to the president. I mean, in that. That's what counts. We saw that great news conference where he said he's the he's the healthiest human male ever. Speaking of loyal to the president, you know who we haven't talked about, who hasn't really uh, been making headlines lately? Dimples. Dimples. I'm wondering if Dimples has fallen out of favor with father-in-law. Well, Dimples doesn't have a security clearance anymore. Right. So he's but, not mean, in he, all like, of the he, meetings that he was I mean, before. He is like, uh, you know. Donna Brazil, you know, where is he? You know, we haven't seen him. Number one, we, <laughs> Debbie we talked, Wasserman Schultz. Des, too. Debbie Wasserman that's, Schultz. That's when, who I was thinking of. When we were in Philly that's and that whole thing of. broke yeah. about her, yeah, and yeah, yeah. she was hiding in a closet somewhere near the Liberty Bell. Oh, I have an update on the Syria situation. The president, remember, we Let's told, do it when we come back. Uh, okay. Excellent. It's really brief. No, it's, well, that's why we're going to do it when we come back. Okay. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. I got a woman drunk all the time. I got a woman and she won't be true. Sunday morning when we go down to church, see the men folks are standing in line. They say they come and pray to the Lord, but when my little girl looks so fine. And in the evening when the sun is singing low, Gary and Shannon. We have a bunch of stuff coming up here in just a couple of minutes. That's me making noise. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff coming up in a few minutes. A chance to win $1,000. We'll tell you how you're going to do that. Right now, we have a chance for you to win some movie tickets. Free Movie Friday with Adam Tickets is back. The easiest way for you to plan a night at the movies with the Adam Tickets app, they're going to give you a chance right now, as a matter of fact, at some free movie tickets. Text them right now. Text the word reporter, R-E-P-O-R-E-T-E-R, reporter to A-T-O-M-1 for your chance to win. Text the word reporter to Adam1 
for your chance to win a pair of tickets so you can browse movie titles, buy tickets, invite friends, pre-order concessions, all from your phone. Skip the lines with the Adam Tickets app. And if you have not that on your phone, you end up in the movie theater and you see that little line off to the left there where there's nobody waiting for their concessions because that's the Adam Tickets pre-order concession line. I'm always jealous of those people. Adam Tickets, our friends. All right, so we were talking before the break about the president making some sort of unscripted remark in Ohio that we were going to be getting out of Syria very soon. Well, apparently this unscripted remark was something that he's been kind of obsessing about. It wasn't really offhanded. Uh, For weeks, top advisors have been reportedly freaking out about the president telling more and more people privately that he wants out of Syria. Uh, Two months ago, Trump's aides thought they persuaded him that United States needs to keep its presence in Syria open ended um, just because, you know, ISIS could move back in. You know, we leave at 9 a.m. ISIS is back in at 10 a.m. Or it could be filled by other extremist groups. I mean, you're leaving a a power vacuum there, basically. And Trump did sign off on on a major speech back in January when Rex Tillerson Uh, said that it was vital for the United States to remain engaged in Syria. I mean, I don't know how much of that speech he read through before he put his initials on the bottom, but regardless, he he signed off on it. But mid-February rolls around, and Trump starts telling his top aides in meetings that he wants American troops out of Syria, that uh, he's, he's kind of obsessing about it. This is what he wants to have happen. So the State Department and the Pentagon have been kind of trying to massage the situation, but it seems like this is one of those things he's not going to let go. But I wonder if this is one of those things. We saw this with uh, the ex- exclusion, expulsion, I'm not sure the right word, of transgender military enlistees. When he made the statement, it took everyone by surprise. We're months later, and it looks like a policy has been implemented. But it kind of went backwards. All of it was that, you know, it was announced long before a policy had actually been worked out, had been workshopped even, that it took everybody by surprise and they had no idea how to implement this whole thing. Yeah. This is going to be the same way where a couple of months down the road, if not a couple of weeks, we'll have some sort of policy officially announced, whereas he was talking about it while it was still just uh, penciled out on someone's cocktail napkin. Hey, it's Fridays. Let's talk about do some people movies. Still, wait, 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 uh, wait, time, you, time, Blake. Don't touch that. Do people still pencil things out on cocktail napkins? You did last night at the Dodger game. You have a cocktail napkin? No. They didn't give you napkins for your beer? No. Animals. Welcome to Mo on the Movies. Don't be ridiculous, darling. It's Mo on the movies. Kiss me. Not a chance. Hey, ho. Hey, Mo. What's happening? Did you just call me a ho? No, 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 no. I would never do that. You um, said, hey, ho. Or hi, ho. Maybe you're going for hi, ho. Hi, ho. Hey, Mo. It's off to work we go. <laughs> we talked to Mo Kelly on Fridays. About some movies. We will have a a big conversation about some of the movies that are coming up this weekend. But I wanted to throw some some curveballs at you because I know that there's some stuff coming up that we've already seen uh, in the headlines. There is a rumor. There is a rumor that we are going to see a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure Part 3 with 
grown-up Keanu Reeves and grown-up Alex Winter. Alex Winter, where has he been? <laughs> exactly. Googling. At the risk of a spoiler, mm-hmm. Ready Player One agrees. What? And I'm just going to uh, let that hang out there. <laughs> We're going to have to revisit that a little bit later. Um, they're saying that uh, Bill and Ted 3 is closer than ever to finally happening, if you believe uh, movieweb.com. Uh, the creators, Ed Solomon and Chris, Chris Matheson, talked about the original plans for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And now they're saying they're about uh, two months away, it looks like, from getting Bill and Ted 3 off the ground. Keanu and Alex, apparently friends. Obviously, they became friends when they were making the original two movies. And they have kept in touch quite a bit. And they even worked together on a documentary in 2015 called Deep Web, in which Keanu Reeves was the narrator. Yeah, Alex Winter seems to be uh, busying himself with directing in the past uh, 15 or so years. I can only name two things that he's ever done. Well, three if you count the two separate Bill and Ted movies. It's that, and he was also in The Lost Boys. He was, as Marco. That's right. But I couldn't tell you anything outside of that. I mean, there's nothing else. He was in a couple Red Hot Chili Peppers videos. Can you believe that higher ground? Really? I didn't realize that. You have to watch that immediately. (laughs) No, you don't have to watch it immediately. Um, The other story uh, that I wanted to throw your way is that uh, Jurassic World 3 has hired uh, another director, um, John A. Uh, sorry, J. A. Boyana, taking on the reins of the franchise. And it sounds like Jurassic World director Co- uh, Colin Trevolo is going to return for as the as yet untitled Jurassic World three. We saw this a little bit with the Han Solo movie, and I'm just asking a general question here about when you change directors like this, and when you ch- especially after production has started, this has just got to be a ridiculous amount of work. To get things back in line. Not only that, you're changing the vision because obviously the original vision impacts the the lensing, the location, uh, the stylized version of the, of the shoots. Everything is through the vision of the original director, which means at the minimum you're going to have reshoots. You're probably going to have script revisions. You may have to have reshoots of large scenes, expensive scenes that you've already done. It depends on whether you're changing the the complete direction or you're just changing things around the edges of the film. And there's always going to be reshoots. A feature film, right. I mean, a two-hour two film, you're going to have reshoots because something goes wrong. It's inevitable. But you're talking about, I mean, redoing entire sequences of of portions of the film. And you may not have all the actors or actresses available because after they finish a project or think they finish their scenes, they move on to their next project. And some get paid more than others for reshoots, as we learned from the yes. Mark Wahlberg, uh, Michelle Williams issue. Uh, so anyway, let's let's jump into this, because I know that we want to spend a lot of time on Ready Player One. I want to so, see this very soon. Well, we'll get into that. We'll get it. We'll, we'll save that till the end. But because there's a couple of other movies that are coming out. One that we talked about last week is getting sort of a companion film. Um, the, the story about Paul with Jim Caviezel. I thought he played mm-hmm. Jesus in the Paul movie. He doesn't. He plays John the... I think he plays... John the Baptist? No, it's somebody else now that I can't remember. Anyway, Pontius Pilate? But he's in it. He's in He's in the movie, uh, and it's brought to you by the same people who did The uh, Passion of the Christ. There's a companion, if you want to call it that. It's, a, it's the third in a series of movies. This one called God's Not Dead, A Light in the Darkness, 
with David A.R. White, John Corbett, Shane Harper, Ted McGinley. Do you have any idea what you did to mom and dad? You broke their heart. You're the one that broke my heart. You really don't get that, do you? You didn't take the time to understand what I was going through. I was trying to sort out my own faith. Is that Aiden my from Sex and the City? My own sense of God. Yeah. I was changing, and you all hated me for it. And that's the truth, David. Mm. That's the truth, David. <laughs> you broke my heart. Pastor oh, Dave responds to the unimaginable <laughs> tragedy of having his church located on the grounds of the local university burned down. That sounds uplifting. I, see, I like the first one. I didn't see the second one. I think now they're just, okay, let's have a trilogy. The first one, to me, had an, a specific purpose. They were making an intellectual argument about the existence of God. And I thought that was fascinating in a cinematic way. It was a little thin as far as how it played out. But I, I ultimately, I liked the movie. I don't know if it was necessary to have a, a, a sequel and then a, a, a third movie in the trilogy. But nevertheless, here we are. I didn't realize. I guess that David A.R. White actor has been, he was in the first one, I know. I don't know if he was in the second one or not, but he's obviously in the third one again. The first one was the one with Kevin Sorbo as right. a college professor. And, and I agree. I think that was a, it was a good, it's as good as you're going to get in terms of an intellectual look at faith, the existence of God, et cetera. You're not going to get a whole lot of people who are going to spend a whole lot of time on that in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Sorbo being one of the uh, outspoken um Faith-based actors. Yeah. Not, I don't know if that's the right. Who played term. the atheist in the movie? Right. <laughs> um, and and in this case, it's going to be John Corbett. It sounds like just based on the uh, the clip that we played. Uh, but this is it's a clearly one of those that would be scheduled to come out Easter weekend. Yeah. So it's an expectation. So Tyler Perry's got a new movie coming out. Acrimony. A I want faithful wife tired of standing by her devious husband is enraged when it becomes clear she has been betrayed. I would do anything for you. And I did. And you lie. And you cheat on me. I'm done with you. I'm done. Get out. Get out. She's pissed. Uh, Now I get it. This this is not a joke. My wife and I are going out to see this tonight. This is date night. That this sounds is what, like a bad this idea. Is what, this is what she chose. This is a pull bad the, idea. Pull the cord. Mo, Mo, pull eject. the car over. We, yeah, eject. Blink twice if you need us. A faithful wife, tired of standing by her devious husband, yep. Yep. is enraged when it mm-hmm. becomes clear mm-hmm. she has been betrayed. And what do you think she's going to do to him? What do you think she's going to do to him? Other bad than castrate stuff. him? Bad stuff. She's yeah. going to make a skin suit out of him. See, this doesn't bode well for me as far no. as how date night turns out. Why don't you change the movie? Why don't you say, honey, I think that might be one you see with your friends. Let's go see Ferdinand Let's go the see God's Not Dead or something. Anything but this. This is going to end in a bad conversation on the way home. Yeah, it's going to end with me being silent in the car. That's, that's smart. A couple, <laughs> a couple of things. First of all, I want to be so famous that every movie I make has my name in front of it. Like Gary Hoffman's Rambo. Gary Hoffman's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Tyler Perry's acrimony. He did that from the beginning, even when he was just doing stage plays. You know, Tyler Perry presents X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I think it's a, a little bit over the top, but I, I understand why he, he does it branding-wise. Is, is it an homage to Spike Lee? Because everything that Spike Lee does ends up being a Spike Lee joint. But that's on the poster, 
but it's not the name of the movie. I don't it's know not Malcolm X or Spike Lee Joy. Right. No. It, it, I don't know what Tyler Perry, Perry's like. I've never seen him in real life, an interview or anything, but it does sound like somebody with a, a big uh, ego. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good, it's a, I think it's worth the conversation, at least. I enjoy his... How does a guy? How does a guy get to the point where you get to put your name in front of every movie? Like because he's writing them all. I mean, he. Yeah, he. It's, it's his, his intellectual yeah, property, his. and he's yeah. always the director. I mean, he writes and directs his own stuff, as far as I know, most of his own stuff. Yeah, and I'll give him this. At least this is not Medea. At least he seems like he's trying to grow beyond like that Medea. small space. Well, that was going to be my next question. Has he gone into this suspenseful thriller uh, genre before? This not not as a director, his... but he has as an actor. Uh, Kiss the Girls, I think it was. So he has been. Oh, he did I... that movie. Yeah, he was um, with one Morgan of the... Freeman and yeah. Ashley Judd. Yeah, I think, I think it was Kiss the Girls. I think he played a detective or something. And he's done stuff like with Star Trek. He was in that. So hopefully that is rubbing off on him where he is broadening his horizons as a director, telling different stories. If there, if there is anything, and I thought it was funny because that, in that line, she says, get out. It harkens to at least uh, Jordan Peele. I was just going to say that. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that. I was going to play it again because she said that. I mean, in terms of this being a, a thriller uh, uh, a kind of a, a suspenseful movie. Right. That's the one that I think of. I'm done. Get out. Oh. Get out. <laughs> and you just see, uh, you just see the big eyes and the tears rolling down, and the guy's just paralyzed in the chair. I just have a feeling that she's going to throw like a spatula or a frying pan at his head or something. Yeah. It's is it Fatal Attraction? Probably something like that. Probably. I, I get the. That's about how she finds out that her husband has been cheating on her because, you know, this crazy woman is probably calling a house and, and boiling the rabbit or the pet in, in the stew. And Taraji P. Henson can play, I mean, just based on the clips. She, she plays, plays crazy well. Crazy. He was not in Kiss the Girls. What, what, it must what, be a it's one, one of those. It's, it's, I have to look it up, but he played a detective in a thriller. Okay. We will check it. We have a money to give away. How's this? You have a chance to win $1,000. Brought to you by Cunning Dental. If Taraji P. Henson is about to come upside your head with a frying pan, you're going to want to fix your teeth. Call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640-SMILE. Keep listening. Here's how you're going to win. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. If you're the winner, just like Brenda in San Bernardino was, you're going to want to answer that phone. might be from a number that you don't recognize, but if you don't answer, they're going to move on to somebody else and give 1000 bucks away to somebody else. If you're not Brenda, they may give it to Mark in Grand Terrace. You have a chance to win $1,000 one hour from now. In fact, every hour through 7 o'clock tonight, we're giving it away. Alex Cross. That's it. But he did. He acted in it, but he didn't direct, write, or produce. You know where I got it confused? Kiss the Girls and Alex Cross are both James Patterson books turned yes. into movies. That yes. makes sense. Yeah. I will accept that as, uh, as an excuse. All right. <clears throat> the big movie of the weekend, potentially bringing in $50 million dollars uh, brought to you by Steven Spielberg is Ready Player One, based on a book, and it was a, a incredibly popular book. I know a lot of people who have read it who loved the book, and I know a lot of like 13, 14, 15-year-olds who are in the book now to get ready for the movie. Hello. 
If you're watching this, I'm dead. I created a hidden object, an Easter egg. The first person to find the egg will inherit half a trillion dollars and total control of the Oasis itself. By the way, that that's the voice of Mark Rylance, the uh, Academy Award winner from Bridge of Spies. Looks completely unrecognizable. Under I didn't that, recognize him. Under that bald wig. Yeah, Have you seen this yet? I saw I, it yesterday. Oh, you did? Yes. Okay, excellent. Good, because I got a bunch of questions. Now, Steven Spielberg is in this. Ty Sheridan uh, plays the main character here, um, and he is he teams up with uh, a couple of other people in this weirdly uh it's a future of the United States 2045 I think is the year it's set in he lives in Ohio in a bizarre basically stacked containerville stacked like mobile homes yeah. think of that okay and then the everyone who is around escapes from the reality of how uh, depleted and blighted our, our landscape is by going into this oasis, the uh, virtual reality world. And there you hear Mark Rylance's character, the creator of Oasis, say, I put an Easter egg in there and you're going to win all my fortunes. All right. Olivia, uh, Ty Sheridan is the main antagonist in the, sorry, protagonist in this. Olivia Cook is one who befriends him through this whole thing. Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn of uh, Bloodline uh, from Netflix, of Star Wars more recently is another bad guy. Is he ever going to play a good guy? He just has the face of a bad guy. That's the only <laughs> way I can describe it. He just scowls and is perfect for someone to dislike in a cinematic sense. Ready Player One is the first film he's made for Warner Brothers, a uh, first film that Spielberg made for Warner Brothers since AI, artificial intelligence, 17 years ago. That's I, pretty amazing. And I watched AI like last week. It holds up very well. Does it really? In fact, it, it actually, I appreciate it more now than I did in 2001. Okay. We are all children of the 80s to some degree. You and I much more so than this one over here. But she gets the, she gets jokes. This is, is chock full of references. I would say on the low side, 500. I was trying to keep track of just the movie, the cinematic references, and some are explicit where they actually mention them, and some are just implied or just in the background. If you look in the background, you'll see some sort of Easter egg slash memorabilia from a specific movie. I don't want to give it away, but if it were in the 1970s or the 1980s, any of these movies, it's in this movie. That, yeah. That's the scary part. Uh, I've seen just just based on the poster art even. I mean, Well, even the 60s, now that I think of it. Really? Yes, there is. There are some '60s references, some '70s, all sorts of '80s. I'm trying to debate if I should read the book before I see the movie. That's a great point. I, I did not read the book, and a lot of people have told me. For people who have read the book, they say that some characters have been left out in the movie version, and the ending is different. Oh. What that means is, even if you've read the book, there's value in seeing the movie. Well, I just think, just in terms of the the homage to '80s movies. I mean, we referenced Bill and Ted, and you said there's a there's a clear reference to something without giving it away. Don't give it away. But I just think for that, that's that's so uh, enticing to me to want to be able to go and and see that done oh. so well. The, and I'll use this as, as as example. Do you guys ever watch the TV show Psych? Yes. Okay. The TV show Psych is also one of those that is just rife with 80s references. And they do a fantastic job of weaving them in 
That's why I could watch it with my kids and get twice as many jokes as they would because I understood the 80s references, the music references, it's the like movie references. It's like Shrek. Shrek was one of the first movies that came out that was for your kids but had all that humor in it for the adults, for yeah. the parents. And then and, and the animated stories kept doing that. But that that's a great quality for a film to have that, you know, you can take your kids and they're going to love it and they're 13 and you're getting all the, the old man – Joe. Yeah, but but this is different because this movie is predicated on all the nostalgia. The story specifically built around knowledge of 80s nostalgia that's written into how you can succeed at the game. Okay. So the problem with this movie, and I, let me say I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it because I'm of a certain age. The problem is if you're under the age of 35, 90% of the references are not going to mean anything to you, which would – I would say take away from the value of the experience, which means you have a $175 million movie, which won't directly appeal to the target audience who has the most disposable income to go watch a movie. Oh, so you don't think that 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 age group, the teenagers and and 20s will enjoy it? They may enjoy it, but they're not going to enjoy it as much as we wouldn't want to go see it again and again. It's only forecast to make 50 million its first weekend which means it's going to struggle to make back its 175 I kind of like that, like that it's just targeted at that eight, Generation X or whatever it is. Me personally, yeah, that's fine. That's Spielberg I don't thing. need them to get it. I'm just looking at it right. from a business standpoint. Yeah, most just worried that Steven Spielberg doesn't have enough money. So he's looking out for Steve. In well, terms this of- is, I would believe this is a, a pet project, something he felt strongly about. Yeah. And Steven Spielberg's properties are well represented in the movie. Yeah. But it's not something he would do to make money. It's something that he believed in as far as he creates a, a universe which is opulent, beautiful, and worthy of the Steel- Steven Spielberg name being attached to it. Quick question about the references. I know the soundtrack and the music play an important part of it. Is it all the original music, or do they do new versions of the old songs that you would recognize? All original. You think you're right back in, be it high school or junior high or whatever. Good. Good for that. All right. What's coming up on your show this weekend? I have absolutely no idea. We cannot wait I to hear it. love honesty. <laughs> Mo Kelly, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have fun at the movies tonight. Protect yourself, please. I will. Again. I'm wearing a cup. Text if you need any help. Okay. Two weeks. All right. Uh, Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. We're going to be talking with Brent Huff. Uh, the creator of Behind the Orange Curtain, a story about opioids and their impact uh, right here in our backyard in Orange County. That's all coming up next on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon, on this Friday, March 30th, this is horrible. We're never doing this uh, Erica Jane stuff, ever. Hey, uh, we have talked many times on the Gary and Shannon show about the opioid problem throughout the United States. It's not just back east. It's not just in poor neighborhoods. It is all over the place, uh, including in our backyard right here in Orange County. And so many people have told us, you've got to watch behind the orange curtain. You've got, I mean, we've heard it from emails on Facebook, Twitter. So we, we said, all right, and we got the director in here. Brent Huff joins us now to talk about behind the orange curtain. This is a documentary that came out in 2012. And uh, so not a lot of people were talking about this back in 2012. Not at the time, but uh, they call it, you know, prescription drug abuse, but not the opioid abuse. And now that we've got a name for it, I mean, it doesn't make the problem go away, but at least we can have an idea of what's going on. Exactly. So they can kind of zero in on it. Um, so where do you get the idea for a, a full documentary on this? 
What happened? Natalie Costa, who's a friend of mine, and she operates the Performers Academy. It's a performing arts school down in Orange County. She called me up to tell me her daughter, Brianne, had gone to her first funeral. A friend of hers, a 17-year-old boy, died of an opioid overdose. So Natalie went with her uh, daughter to the funeral. It was packed. There were like seven or 800 people there, and everybody was talking about how the problem is out of control. They've gone to too many funerals. It's got to stop. One young man who's actually in the film uh, said that he had been to 13 funerals in the last year and a half, all down in Orange County, South Orange County, the beach communities where you think, what can go wrong there? And it's been devastating. So Natalie called me up and said, I'm going to bring some parents in who've lost children, some children who are uh, struggling with addiction right now and do sort of a town hall meeting about doing a documentary. I just want you to come down. If it's something you want to do, let's make a documentary. So I went down there. The auditorium was filled. I mean, uh, standing room only. And parent after parent stood up and told me how they lost their child. So you can imagine the emotion in the room. Yeah. Just devastating, one after another. Did you get the sense that before this, uh, uh, it was an embarrassing thing to talk about or that maybe the parents felt they were alone and no one else had suffered the same, you know, horrific tragedy that they had? It still is. It's a stigma. Because parents think, oh, it's going to make us look like we're bad parents. It's going to make our kids look they're, like they're bad kids. I don't know if you've seen the uh, Eric Bowling interviews. Yeah. We interviewed him not too long ago, oh. a couple weeks ago. That's the story with so many. They had no idea, no idea until they got the call that every parent doesn't want to get. And that it can happen like that. So you got to be aware. So this is an awareness documentary just uh, so parents will talk. But, well, uh, yeah, and it's so important because we talk about watching the intervention uh, series on A&E. And the people in that series who are depicted um, are people, I'm just going to say it, who you would profile. That Okay, that's what a drug user looks like. All right. Um, it's somebody who's low income, uh, just had a rough life. And, oh, that's the face of addiction. But that's not the face of addiction. No way. It was like these clean cut people with wealth. Uh, the kids were cheerleaders, football quarterbacks, academic stars, great personalities. I met with a lot of them, really charming young people that and then the parents, I thought maybe, well, they're parents that just threw money at the problem. But no, the parents that we interviewed were hands-on, loving parents. Uh, it just shows you it can happen to anybody. It's not the face that you would think. And then they turn to heroin when they can't afford the oxy or whatever anymore. And so then I, I interviewed one girl that's uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed cheerleader. She goes, I'm an ex-heroin addict. Who would have thought? And, uh, and, so, and so, what some of these kids do to get their money is unbelievable. One girl that's in the film, beautiful girl... She got caught with $13,000 of counterfeit money that she printed. Wow. <laughs> and if you saw her walking down the street, you'd have no idea. Well, Behind the Orange Curtain came out in 2012. That's when it first hit the uh, the festivals and, and really became a, a big deal. What's changed in six years? I mean, or if anything. Not a lot has changed uh, except a lot of the kids who overdosed in my film had overdosed with Opana. Uh, which is the FDA is trying to get that opioid off the market because it's so powerful. But now fentanyl yeah. is so big. So they're lacing, you know, like Xanax bars with fentanyl and stuff. And fentanyl is deadly. Well, we just saw the headline that Prince was found to have incredibly high levels of fentanyl in his system when he died. And Tom Petty. Yeah. yeah. And Heath Ledger 10 years ago. 
you know, yeah, it's so died, and it's still going on. So this just it needs to get out there. Uh, parents need to talk to their kids and have that conversation. And what do you do? I mean, we were, when we were talking to Eric Bowling, he was saying that he did have the conversation with his kid. Uh, and the kid was like, I got it. I got it. And that was what he remembered his kid saying. And as a parent, what what do you do beyond the conversation? It's a, it's a hard problem because a lot of times they'll lie. Addicts lie because they have to. So the kids will say, Dad, Mom, you're not, you don't believe me? You don't believe in what I'm saying? How yeah. dare you accuse me of lying? And they're lying because they have to. And uh, so it's just continue to have the conversation. Also keep an eye on who they're hanging out with, if their behavior changes. Uh, there are signs that sometimes these parents just don't see or don't want to see because it can't possibly. I think don't want to see is probably the better way to put yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned that, the idea that they're lying. And to go back, I mean, just because this is really our window, I suppose, into uh, into addiction is that TV show Intervention. We've mentioned it a couple of times uh, that – the cameras being there, you know, and seeing these people, you'll you'll see the lie develop. You'll see it come out of their mouth. You'll see the person that they're lying to, and then you'll see them, you know, live out that lie saying, I don't have heroin in my room, and the next thing they do, close the door and shoot up. They're the foils, yeah. Uh, that's just the... So do the kids know that there is this potential for overdose, that you don't know you're going too far, but you can go too far? I mean, don't they hear the stories? It's not landing for some reason. Uh, and what happens is when they're at a party, they might take one of these pills, and then when they mix alcohol with it, and that's when it really gets bad because it doesn't mix. It's not one plus one is two. It's like one plus one is three with the alcohol and the, these drugs. And uh, they'll overdose at a party, and the kids don't know what to do. We've got one um, guy that we uh, follow in the film that they're partying, one of his kids is overdosing, so they just pull over in uh, San Juan Capistrano, the side of the road, near the 5 freeway, and let him out and put him on the ground. They go to the jack-in-the-box and use a cell phone to call 911 because they don't want their cell phone traced. They said that there's a kid there. Well, they couldn't find him. And then there's another 911 call the next morning where a woman calls and says, I think I see a body at the side of the road. <sighs> if you drive down the 5 right now near San Juan Capistrano, this little side road, you'll see these flowers next to it. It's still there. But... Kids need to know that there's a good Samaritan law that they can call 911 and not get in trouble. And so that's what happens a lot of times. They don't want to know what to do. But uh, make sure your kids know that if one of their friends starts to overdose, call 911. That's so the the other issue is about opioids, <clears throat> uh, opiates is that there's nothing like um, th- there are no telltale signs a lot of times. There's, you know, you don't smell the alcohol on them, for example. You can't smell that they've been smoking pot. It's not on their clothes. There's no, there's no white powder around their nose from the cocaine or anything like that. They just, they can appear off. I mean, granted, they can appear very off, but sometimes those signs aren't there. Well, you just think they're pe- being petulant teenagers. Right. Like we all were. Yeah. And so they're, oh, they're just acting up, this, that, and the other. They're just being teenagers. You have no idea because, like you said, you can't smell it. You can't see the signs. Uh, Brent Huff has joined us. We're talking with uh, Brent about his documentary film called Behind the Orange Curtain, uh, prescription drug abuse, opioid abuse in uh, Orange County of all places. We'll talk more with Brent when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon, KFI AM 640. We are talking to Brent Huff right now. 
director of Behind the Orange Curtain. He also directed Chasing Beauty, which is a great look at the modeling industry or the uh, the dark side, I guess you could say, of the of the modeling industry. Um, but today we're talking about Behind the Orange Curtain. According to the California Health Kids Survey, this was back in 2012. There was a survey given to ninth and eleventh graders, and 20% of 11th graders in the Newport Mesa School District have used prescription painkillers one or more times to get high. And you got to think that that's a low percentage because how many kids are, are lying and not saying that they've done it? And I think there's a thought of, of if it comes from a doctor, it's okay. You right. know, if you if you get into the, the medicine cabinet, you take one of mom's the orange, pills. The orange bottle with the white top, it's probably safe. Right. Somebody. It's not like you're doing heroin with a needle in your arm, mm. but you are. And that's usually mm. how it starts, right, Brent? I mean, in terms of people... Uh, experimenting with painkillers from from the medicine cabinet in the home. Right, it could be at mom's uh, medicine cabinet. They get it from their friends at school. A doctor gives it to them. How how bad can it be? Uh, and then it, one of the reasons Orange County was hit so hard is because it cost a lot to buy these drugs. Like a um, uh, one milligram of oxy is a dollar, so they took eighty milligram pills. So that's eighty bucks. So after a while, you have to switch over to heroin because it's much cheaper. So that's how that ends up, you know, because you don't, they don't just start with heroin. Yeah. They start with these pills and then move into that. It's quite a jump to go from nothing to heroin. <clears throat> and it's the uh, same high, yeah. Yeah. Um, we, but you were mentioning off the air the issue of Narcan, which is the drug that a lot of paramedics, emergency responders have been using to pop people out of an overdose, an opioid overdose. And you can get it? You can get it at Walgreens, CVS. Just walk into the pharmacy and say that you have a, a child or a friend or a loved one who's struggling and you'd like to buy it. And it's a nasal spray that can, you know, reverse the effects in less than three minutes. Wow. It's amazing. So if you have uh, someone who's struggling, I would have that around for sure. One Uh, of the problems I think that parents face, and I've seen this on Teen Mom. Uh, One of the the guys on Teen Mom, Ryan is his name, had a pill problem. I think he was just actually busted after uh, going to rehab recently. uh, Busted this week, I think. But... He had a heroin problem and a prescription pill problem, and he just came off like a lazy teenager that didn't care. And don't teenagers have that phase where they're just, "Ah, I'm lazy and I don't care about anything. And that's one of the signs. You know, it's hard to pick up on that if if that's one of the signs. Oh, exactly. And then your mind is still developing at that age. It still develops until you're like 25 years old. There's a reason your car insurance goes down at 25. There's a scientific reason. (laughs) So you're just hoping that you can get your kids through that area, you know, through that uh, time frame as they're maturing. And to, and they're, because their brain doesn't work right. Exactly. Look at all the stupid things we did right. when we were that age. We just didn't have these pills around. <laughs> yeah. Um, what What is the next step? I mean, is there is there a, a part two of Behind the Orange Curtain? Have you played with that idea at all, sort of following up on the stories? A lot of people are asking us about that to, to do it because it is, it's almost like a scared straight sure. documentary, and I want to do more. Um, one of the things that really changed my life is uh, I got to shoot at the coroner's office in Orange County. They let us shoot down there. Now, earlier we'd gone to a uh, uh, funeral at Dana Hills High School, which they called Dana Pills. Down there, so there's a funeral, and one of the young men that was at this funeral was crying, you know, hysterically. Three weeks later, I'm in Orange County at the coroner's office, and we're in the morgue, and they let us shoot there. They said, "But what you have to do is turn over the toe tags, just so you know, don't identify any of the, the names." So I'm looking at the toe tags, and there's a kid that's 19 years old, 
And so Brianne Costa, who was went to her first funeral, I said, come here, look at this. This kid's 19. She looked over, and she grabs her mouth, and it was the kid that was crying earlier at the um, Dana Hills Memorial. Wow. And so she's grabbing her face. That's actually the, one of the photos that's on the poster. So it happened to her that three weeks after the memorial, he's in the morgue. So it's, it's so it didn't, terrifying. You know, yeah, it's terrifying. I've heard this so many times that after parents take their kids to the film, on the way home, their kids will come clean and say that they're either, either struggling or that it's all over their high school. Yeah. And a lot of these kids are going through it. And they just, they just don't tell their parents. So you've got to start the conversation. Uh, Brent, great. thank you very much for coming in. We, we appreciate it. We now have a friend that's a film director. Oh, I love it. That's yeah. A, yeah. yeah. We're filling up our friend box. I know. Thanks, Brent. <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, you can uh, check out, of course, uh, Behind the Orange Curtain on iTunes. You can also search for it on Amazon. You can go to BehindTheOrangeCurtain.net. You can see the whole trailer there, more information about what it is that uh, that Brent and others have been doing ever since the documentary came out six years ago. And some follow-up stories as well as uh, on some of these things. Uh, and Brent uh, off the air was telling me that there are a lot of support groups that go sort of unnoticed uh, around Southern California because they tend to be in neighborhoods where you don't think of uh, drug issues like this, uh, overdoses of opioids, uh, opioids and opiates being a problem but that every neighborhood has got this. Uh, every area of Southern California has been dealing with this to some degree or another. So um, all of that, he says, just basically go to, to local churches or um, advocacy groups or uh, drug re- rehab centers. will a lot of times have information about all of it uh, so that you can find somebody in your area who can help you through with whatever you're dealing with. All right. John and Ken show is up next. Happy Easter. We'll see you on Monday. Stay dry, everybody. Gary and Shannon's side studio show. Come on. Yeah. Go ahead and bleep that one. Take two. Take two. Fair. 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 Are you in the market for a car or truck? You in the market? Hey, bro. You? Hey, bro. You in the market? Hey, bro. Hey, bro. Hey, bro. Brada. Coming. I do. Coming, Coming up, up late. When the Dodgers win, you win. All season, show your Dodgers. G- Let's talk about the Fair app. You in the market for a car or truck? That's a five. That's good. Let's talk about the Fair app. You in the market for a car or truck? Yeah, don't go the way of the old lease or loan with big. B- this has been Gary and Shannon's side studio show. Stay tuned for more outtakes and bloop- bloopers. Out takes and bloopers. Oh, you know what I'm saying. We're going to keep screwing up. Well, that's all the time we have. Join us next time on Gary and Shannon.